0: Good morning, everyone. It's another edition of the Battle Round. I'm your host, Paul Valley. No, that is not Zach Goodman sitting in my chair with my name over his head. That is Ryan Blake who is kind enough to join us today while Zach is out on assignment. What assignment? I have no idea, but Zach's not here. Ryan, you're in the in the studio. Thanks for uh thanks for coming in today and agreeing to do the show with us. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. You know, the last couple of times I've filled it in it's been for you. So I've I've been sitting at the table with Zach. I think the last time I was here with you was at least a year ago. So uh, it's it's certainly good to be back. I appreciate you uh, having me on.
0: Yeah, man, you're kind of our go-to when one of us is when one of us isn't here because you always do a good job. So we certainly appreciate it, um, and I'm sure we'll be having you in here uh, many times throughout the spring and summer, and hopefully throughout the season. And before we get into that, because we're not sure, I'm pretty confident that there's going to be a season, but we're not positive that there's going to be one uh, because they can't get it together with this new CBA. Before we get into that, I just want to remind you the background is brought to you by Live Casino and Hotel. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all the action from the best seat in the house and reserve your spot to watch the big game in the FanDuel Sportsbook right now by emailing events at sportssocialmd.com. And Ryan, let's get right into it, man. This these CBA negotiations, they didn't meet for over 40 days after they locked out, right? Did not meet for over 40 days. Then they finally meet and Major League Baseball doesn't have a proposal that's worthwhile. And then the players union come back with a proposal that Major League Baseball doesn't consider worthwhile. And it's this back and forth, back and forth. And then they're meeting multiple times a week. We're starting to feel good about things because oh, they're meeting multiple times there's a sense of urgency. Major League Baseball comes to the to the, the I'm sorry, the players association comes to Major League Baseball with a proposal for a bonus pool of hundred and five million dollars to get their payer their players paid more before they hit arbitration. Um Major League Baseball counters at ten million. That's ninety five million dollars apart, right? And it's, less than ten percent. Yeah, it, it's it's ridiculous. So the players union comes back with okay you want to slap us in the face, we'll slap you right back in the face. And their proposal is now, oh no, we're going to drop from 105 million to 100 million. Look, look, five million? Five million. Like look, I get it. You're pissed off at Major League Baseball. And with and the lockout is on them. They started the lockout. Yeah. And then they came back to you at 10 million, less than 10 percent of what you asked for. So I get it. You're pissed. But somebody has got to stop this pissing contest.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you feel like it's a little bit of progress. I believe it's the last three days consecutively that they have indeed met, but they're not meeting in good faith. You know, like you said, they, they, they come in with this this counteroffer that's less than 10% of what they had been asking in the first place. And, and yeah, you have a right to be pissed off. And I, I, I think it's hilarious that, that the Players Association came back with, you know, kind of the same budging in the other direction the same amount. And now Major League Baseball comes in and says, all right, well, I think we need a, a federal mediator. That's something that, that professional organizations have done in the past. And the Players Association denied the request because they're saying, I mean, it, you have to at least give us something. You have to try in, in to some extent. And people come up with the argument, you know, I hate seeing these billionaires fight with millionaires. I, I don't want to hear any of that. These players are trying to get paid what they're worth. They're trying to be treated fairly, which is something you do in any profession. Uh, is that is that fair to say? Yeah. No, it's...
0: Okay. So my, my dad talks to me about this a lot. And he's like, I can't get in... Okay, so, so first off, my dad will say, I can't get into professional sports. But then he gets pissed off when the teams, when the Orioles don't win and when the Ravens don't win. And he, he lets it bother him more than I do. And I'm the fan. Right? <laughs> um, but he says, I just... They should win every game with how much they're getting paid. I can't stand these millionaires expecting hundreds of millions of dollars. And it's like they do something that nobody else in the world can do at an extremely high level. And they're providing entertainment. They're providing—it's uh, a $13 billion a year industry. Like, look, look, these, these owners' pockets aren't hurting at all. It's billionaires making billions and billions of more dollars. Right. The players just want their, their their proper piece of the pie. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and, they, and th- I saw somebody post that the average major league career is like two years. You make $600,000 each year. That's $1.2 million. You've spent your entire life building for this. Your career is uh, all this time in the minors, all this time every year, every day, working on your game, honing your craft just to get two years in the bigs, and then you're done. And then you're yeah. done. And $1.2 nice chunk of change, man. If I had 1200000 million, I'd be – give me $600,000 – I'm set for a good while, but I'm not set for life. You can't retire on $1.2 million. People can say, oh, well, you should just go back to school and get in the workforce. All right. Uh, all right. When you've spent your entire – this is – okay, a- as a man, and I think men do this more so than women do. I'm not going to try and get into a battle of sex. If I think men do this more so than women, we identify with our career, right? Yeah. I am what I do. I am a baseball Sports talk radio host, right? This is what I do. This is who I am. Uh, I know that I'm also a husband and one day a father and I'm a brother and a son and a grandson. But I identify with my job. If you identify with your career and then somebody tells you, all right, your career is over. Do you know how hard it is to not identify with that when this is all you know? Now what am I going to do? Oh, go back to school. Okay, cool. How many times did you change your major in college? How many times have you gone back to school, Ryan?
1: I, I'm going back to school this semester for the first time in four and a half years, and I have no idea what I'm doing.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I didn't get my college degree till I was 29 years old, because I had no idea what I was doing. And I wasn't a professional baseball player who did that my entire life. I had no idea what I was doing. And I went back to school probably three or four times before I finally said, you know what, this is what I want to do. And that's why I'm sitting in this chair now. But there's a reason I'm in my late 30s sitting in this chair instead of in my late 20s. So to say g- Go get a car- go get a career, or go, go go back and get a degree and get into the workforce. Yeah, easier said than done. It's easier for you to say that because you haven't spent your entire life. Some people have. Some people have. But this is something, to get to this level, you have to spend hours upon hours upon hours upon days upon months upon years doing this. And then you're just told, okay, you're done. Go do something else.
1: Yeah. Good luck. It's a full-time job for which you're not getting paid anywhere near a livable wage until you make it to the big stage. And the reason these guys are millionaires is because we're sitting on our couches at seven p.m. every night, showing up at the stadium, you know, once a week, once a month, once a season, if whatever you can, whatever, whenever you get out to the stadium. That's why these players are millionaires. That's why they're they're begging for so much more because they deserve it because we're giving it to them. You know, they are the game. Yeah, they are the game. Uh, These these owners, what they don't realize is without
0: these players, they don't have the money that they have. Now uh, look. A lot of these, mo- all of these guys made their money doing something other than baseball. And then they said, hey, I want to own a team. I'm going to do that. I'm going to pad my wallet even, even more. Uh, but without these players, you don't have a team to own. You don't have a game. You don't have fans. You're not getting that revenue every year because the players aren't playing. And now you're going to lock them out. You're not going to operate in good faith. You told them that you're coming in with a proposal. You don't. Two days later, you come in with a, with a federal mediator. And... I have a text message. I believe it was from Alex Wood. Not text message. He doesn't text me. I have, I have a tweet. Uh, I believe it was from Alex Wood.
1: Who I remember said, reading this, but I don't remember what it was.
0: It would probably take two weeks just for a quote-unquote impartial mediator to get called up enough to proceed. Then they then use an already broken system slash CBA as guideline toward a new deal. Makes zero sense for anybody. Players are ready to make a fair, mutually beneficial deal. Hashtag at the table. This is what the players are saying. This guy's get whoever this mediator is, man or woman, is going to come in here and they're going to they're going to judge based on an old system that we're trying to get away from? Because they have no other parameters to work by. How can you say
1: what's fair and what's not fair when all you have is the previous CBA? Yeah, and it's, it's a collective bargaining agreement. You have to bargain collectively if you want to come to an agreement. And the, the fact that these owners are just, they're, they're not giving the Players Association the time of day. And these guys just want to play. None of, we, obviously, we as fans don't want to see spring training or the season potentially delayed. These players don't either. You, mm-hmm. think they're, you think they're in these negotiations? No, they, like you said, they didn't get locked out. They, the owners locked them out. Mm-hmm. This wasn't a decision that the players made. They're not trying to be hard asses here. They're trying to get what they deserve and get back on the field. That's what all of us want. Except the owners' association. Of uh, a couple other tweets from players: Max Scherzer. We want a system where threshold and penalties
0: don't function as caps. Allows younger players to realize more of their market value. Makes service time manipulation a thing of the past and eliminates tanking as a winning strategy. Uh, from D- Jamison Tyon, If the goal is to get players on the field ASAP, then why did it take 43 days after the lockout to even hear from Major League Baseball? Didn't seem like a priority then. Why did we not get a counter-proposal this week? It's all extremely tired antics and optics. From Whip Merrifield, Based on the incredible annual revenue of the league, we feel players with zero to three years of service should be better compensated. We want to fix a competitive balance so every team's focus is winning year after year. We want to fix service time manipulation. And then from James Paxton, a significant part of collective bargaining is, wait for it, actually bargaining, hashtag at the table. The players are ready to hear something. And I get the sense... That if you come at them with a realistic proposal, they'd be willing to wiggle. They all they they say we want one hundred five million in, in bonus pool for pre-arbitration players. You come back with ten million, of course they're gonna slap you in the face. Yeah. If you come back with forty million, they'd be like, okay, let's find some common ground here. Maybe the next proposal is ninety million or 85 million. And then you can work together till you get to something. But to come back to at, at 10 million shows you're not taking us seriously, so we're not going to take you seriously. I do agree that somebody needs to get in there and help with things because right now they're 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 stuck in the mud.
2: Yeah.
1: I just don't know how you do that when the only parameters are a, a previous CBA that's broken. Exactly. And you know, th- these guys like I said, they just want to get back on the field, and you're crazy if you think the owners aren't going to get their way to at least some extent. I mean, you know, obviously you hope they operate in some type of good faith, but to this point it just hasn't happened, and there's there's no real reason to believe that they're going to budge. And the players, it, it, you know, my opinion is that the players are eventually going to give in whether they get a good offer or not because, like I said, they want to get back on the field. We all want them to get back on the field. They're not going to get paid at all unless they are on the field. So, you know, like you said, if they come back with a even a somewhat realistic counter offer, the players, I think, are going to be the ones who who budge a little bit more. Do you feel like—I mean, we already know spring training is not starting on
0: time. It just isn't. I said on this for a couple of weeks now in this show, on this show to Zach that for some reason the date March 1st keeps sticking out in my head. I feel like they'll have a deal done by the end of February they'll start spring training around March 1st so you get four weeks of spring training which is really all they need anyway. You get four weeks of spring training and then you get the season started on time on March 31st. That's what I felt until this has happened. Um, I'm still going to stick with March 1st just because my gut tells me, but I don't know how anybody can have any confidence that anything's getting done anytime soon.
1: I mean, it what, it's February 5th today. They've They've met each of the last three days for a couple of weeks. Now they've been meeting a few times a week. I, I, I find it hard to believe that they can't get something done by the end of the month if they continue on the same path of meeting as often mm-hmm. as they have been. But the meetings have to mean something. Right. And, and to this point, they really haven't. And, you know, I think March 1st is a realistic deadline. I think four weeks of spring training is solid. The Orioles don't need to stretch their pitchers out that much. They don't go more than five minutes anyway. <laughs> right. So yeah, no pitchers I, do anymore, man. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I mean, yeah, I think I think March first is realistic. I would be surprised if we hit that date and there's not an agreement in place, or at least nothing close. Um, but yeah, I, I, my hope, like you said, is is at least four weeks of spring training to get the guys in shape for the season, and and hopefully we don't have to sacrifice any regular season games. Um. And I saw somebody else, and I don't think this was a player. I think this was a journalist. But
0: basically what they said was um, that the owners are going to a mediator because they don't want a player strike. Uh, and they locked out because they don't want a player strike. And basically, if they had not locked out and they just let the offseason go and they were negotiating uh, under good faith that they were scared that the players, when the season was about to start, would strike... Not play, even though they could, they could play. They could get it, go to spring training. They could start the season and still operate under the old CBA while they're negotiating the new one. It would, we have no idea. It, it remains to be seen now if the players would have, under good faith, not strike. I'm, I'm inclined to believe. I'm not going to sit here and, and say it's all roses for the Players Association and say, oh, no, they're, they're good guys. They're not, they wouldn't have done it. I'm pretty sure there would have been a strike. I am I mean, there was a strike back in 94, 95 for the same thing. It took them seven months to figure it out. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not confident. In fact, I don't think there's a chance that the, that the players' union wouldn't have uh, started the strike. But the owners are the ones that did lock out. And you're going to lock out, and then instead of offering another proposal, <laughs> go get a mediator for something that you put in place. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Also, waiting 43 days to come to the Players Association with anything. Yeah. What are you doing? You, Seven-minute meeting on December 1st. Seven freaking minutes. I, I mean, what, what is that? That's not a meeting. That's not a meeting. It's like, hey, do you want to meet our demands? No. Do you want to meet our demands? No. All right, see you later. Yeah. That's basically what that was. Yep. And then to not come back for a month and a half? What are we doing? It's absurd. You, if you care about baseball, you know who suffers right now? The fans, the fans are the ones that are suffering. The millionaires, the millionaire players, they still have their money. The billionaire owners, they still have their money. And that's not—I hate to just go as simplified as saying it's millionaires fighting with billionaires. But you guys still have your money and your cushy lifestyles. We're the ones sitting here in the middle of in the middle of February, freezing our butts off, trying to have hope for warmer days and better days and sunshine, which is the first day we've seen the sun in about a month. Yep. Um, sitting here hoping and praying that we have baseball. And we have nothing. We have right now. We should be excited about spring training, and uh, right now we're not excited. It's the exact opposite.
1: It's doom and gloom because where the hell is baseball? Yeah, the Orioles posted a tweet. You know, their their annual video of you know we're packing up and leaving for Sarasota, and I pretty much ignored it. I was like, this doesn't mean anything right now. Yeah, I I, I didn't look at it. I I I saw the Oriole bird, and I'm like, cool, means nothing. I think I I saw someone like quote tweet it and scrolled past it, and that was it. And I haven't thought about it since.
0: It's. It's it sucks. There's no other. There's no getting around it. It sucks. And, and what's really hard, man, is I do a baseball show every yeah. week. Yeah. I, uh, what the hell are we gonna talk about? You know. And we we, we find things to talk about, right? And that, look, I'm I'm a pro. This is what I do. I can I can talk about the Orioles every day for hours on end until I'm blue in the face. So th- it's not really an issue.
1: But it it there are difficulties in putting together a weekly show on baseball when baseball is not a thing. Yeah, I you mean you've you've got me on here as a guest, and I'm pretending I know how collective bargaining agreements work. So it's I think I think we're doing okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think we're doing all right. Now let's talk a little bit about baseball right now because Cedric Mullins came out the other day and said that he was diagnosed with Crohn's disease prior to the 2021 season. He um, in spring training of 2020, he was having some issues. He said that he was in a lot of pain, um, but he thought it was just food poisoning, and then it didn't go away. And then there's blood in the urine, there's uh, pain using the bathroom. and so he goes in he gets diag- he, he gets diagnosed with Crohn's disease. He goes in, he has surgery. He has ten centimeters removed from his intestine. Um, and then he gets an infection, and he loses twenty pounds. and then he goes out and has one of the greatest seasons in the history of the franchise. puts up a 30 thirty. He's the starting center fielder in the all-star game. He wins a silver slugger. And he gives, the, he gives fans, really, the only thing to cheer for in 2021 is Cedric Mullins' incredible season. And he did it fighting Crohn's disease, fighting an intestinal infection, and
1: 20 pounds under his playing weight. It, uh, it's nothing short of remarkable. I it, mean, it's absolutely incredible. First of all, for a guy who, who starts to experience these symptoms around the same time that his teammate Trey Mancini is diagnosed with colon cancer, it's, I mean talk about a ripple effect through the organization i mean the players had to be had to be down on that absolutely but you know to, to fight through it in silence for a year um to you know go in to have surgery get it taken care of and then to be in a position like you said with the infection you lose 20 pounds he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to be ready for the start of the season and and you know, I've, I've had a, one of my good friends I used to work with had uh, had Crohn's disease. And people who don't understand it don't realize just how much pain, how much discomfort you're in pretty much all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 not a good experience at all. And to go out and and put together one of the best seasons in Orioles history while dealing with that. And nobody knew aside. From mm-hmm. I'm sure people close to him knew. But, you know, it's it's spectacular. It uh, really it, it's,
0: it's unbelievable. And then we sit here and we, we've been saying all off season expect a regression. Expect a regression, but well, now, 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 what should we expect? Because this video is of him working his butt off in the gym, working his tail off, and he's gonna be back to his normal playing weight. I don't know how long it took him to get back to being comfortable in in his body. I, maybe it happened. Maybe it didn't. Maybe it took till okay. Let me get through the season. Let me get to the off season, and then we'll put the weight back on him. I have no idea for a guy who's already small. In Cedric Mullins, to lose twenty pounds is significant. I I, yeah. I, I didn't notice it. I didn't know. But how? How can you? They're wearing baggy uniforms. How would you notice it? But I still don't know that we're going to see him hit two ninety-one with thirty homers and th- and thirty stolen bases. I, I don't know that we're going to see that again. But I think that you can have realistic expectations that maybe there won't be such a regression because he's. On top of things now, he knows what he's dealing with. He's got a full offseason where he's not battling, where he's not having surgery, not battling infection, not having to lose 20 pounds. Maybe he comes back out and does the same thing next year. I think it's realistic to say, let's pump the brakes on the aggression talk because we had no idea what this dude was going through.
1: Yeah, and if he can come out and have a career year at maybe what, 60, 70% strength throughout the season on average, maybe, mm-hmm. and now he's coming back at 100%. I mean, I think the sky's the limit for him, and yeah, like you said, he, he's probably not going to have another 30-30 season. He's probably not going to hit 300 again. But I mean, man, to to look at what he's done and what he continues to do in the off season, you know, these these workout videos he's been posting. He, I mean, he looks jacked now. Yeah. And and you know, is he going to be a 40 homer? I mean, you know, obviously temper expectations, but you know, if if he can do what he did last year while while fighting this discomfort. Who knows what he can do when he's hundred percent?
0: Oh, absolutely! And that left field wall shouldn't impact him because I think he either hit the center or pulled almost all of his home runs last year. Yeah. I don't I don't. Re- I, maybe once I remember him going oppo taco last year. Yeah, but once or twice, maybe. And, and real quick because I, I never got a chance. To, what is your feelings on the Orioles went from having one of the most hitter friendly ballparks in baseball to having one of the deepest left field, non hitter friendly ballparks in, ba- in the matter of a month?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I. I like the idea of moving the wall back. I I think they might try be trying to overcorrect a little bit. Um, I mean, 384 to you know almost down the line is a significant increase from what it was before. Um, you know, 400 to left center is is pretty massive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I'm surprised they are moving it back that much. The one thing I don't like is raising the wall because I think yeah I think at every stadium most of the outfield wall should be. Rob-able because yeah. home run robberies are some of the most exciting plays in the game. Uh, so I don't love the idea of a 13-foot wall. Um, but I, I like the idea of moving it back. I think, you know, with a lot of left, left-handed left hitters coming up through the system, uh, a lot of pitchers poised to make their debuts soon, um, you know, I, I think... They obviously did their research, and they know what goes into these decisions, and they are doing something that they think is going to be best for the the long term of the team. So I I don't hate it. I think they might be moving it back a little too much. But all in all, I mean, you know, it's it's fine with me. I don't know how much we're going to notice it after a couple of months. I I think we're just going to get used to it.
0: What I'm excited about, man, is I love – the contact aspect of baseball. I love doubles and triples and getting guys over and sack flies and stuff like that. I love fundamental baseball and, and manufacturing runs. And we all love the home run. We all love the home run. But I'm hoping that what this does is that it takes away that all-or-nothing aspect of the game, at least for the Orioles, and it makes them more complete hitters. Because it's like, you know what? I'm going to really have to get one to get it out over that left field wall. And every now and again, I will. I will. But let me just focus on on going gap-to-gap, line-to-line, and just spraying the ball all over the field. And I think it's going to make them ultimately better hitters. And then you have guys like Colton Kalzer coming through the system who does spray the ball all over the field. And it just makes you so – for me, it makes me so much more excited. The idea of more doubles, more triples, and more guys on base. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm super excited about it. The one thing is that wonky 90-degree angle. You don't want to see somebody get hurt. Now, look, I don't think that people are, that you're going to see people running face-first into the wall, but it's going to be – a learning aspect and I do think that they need to do something down in Sarasota to make the Camden Yards field like this one so that these guys during spring training can spend every single day working on that field Cedric Mullins can you know What's it going to be like if he's the only one that can get to a ball in left center and he has to go to a wall and then turn a corner? Right. You know what I mean? But look, we have a great show coming up for you here. Uh, in just a matter of moments, we're going to have Stand the Fan, Charles, on the line talking about Orioles and the, the, a little bit of the CBA agreement, or the lack thereof. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, at 11 o'clock from... I don't know what's going on. At 11 o'clock from BaltimoreBaseball.com. We're going to have Rich Dubroff on here. Uh, One of my favorite guests on the show. Always willing to come on. Always willing to talk and has a lot to say. So he'll be on at 11 o'clock. Ryan is going to sound off in Zach's place today. Uh, We're also going to do a segment of Orioles banter. I'm supposed to have... So this was the week that Zach was supposed to have trivia for me to close the show. And Uh then he says, you know what? I'm not coming in today, so screw you, Paul. (laughs) So I'm going to try and figure out um, some trivia for you, Ryan, before the end of the show. I'll try and make it some Orioles trivia for you. Okay. Um, so we got that. We got more coming up on the show. While I get Stan on the line,
1: um, Ryan, the show today is brought to us by Glenn Clark Radio. It sure is, Paul. PressBox's Box, Press Glenn Clark Radio is the definitive place to find the best daily discussion of Baltimore sports. Watch the show every weekday from 10 to noon at youtube.com slash or facebook.com slash sports, or listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio, with podcasts available on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. You never know who might pop up on GCR this week. The guys caught up with Orioles outfielder Cedric Mullins, Ravens legend Adelius Thomas, and all of the area's college lacrosse coaches. Find those interviews and more in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature right now at pressboxonline.com. All right, and without further ado, joining us on the line today for his weekly segment, we have Stan, the fan.
0: Charles, Stan, how are you this morning?
3: I'm very well, guys. How you doing?
0: We're doing really well. Doing really well. It seems like just in the last couple of days, things have taken a pretty bad turn here um, for the, the the collective bargaining agreement negotiations. Uh, the players propose 105 million dollars in revenue sharing. The or I'm sorry, in bonus pool money, the the Major League Baseball comes back with 10 million. Players take it as a slap in the face. They drop their demands by just five million, and now Major League Baseball they go they want to go to a federal mediator to try and get things settled out. What does this look like to you, Stan, from the outside looking in?
3: Um, I would say this is. I, I've gone for, in just this week. I was very optimistic that there would start to be a little bit of movement. Um, I've gone the other way now, and it looks like we're in, we're, we're in for a, uh, now I've seen enough of these to know that the owners can sort of turn on a dime. Uh, but I think you've had pretty much every concession you're going to get from the players right now, you know, with dropping the, the, the effort to move from six year free agent the five year um uh, you know sort of dropping some of the luxury tax stuff i think um but i think we're you know it it's clear that uh spring training is in um starting to be in real jeopardy you know yeah i and don't which is which is which is i just have to write this column for the paper that will come out in mid february which is really you know it's really pretty disgraceful you know and and both sides share the blame. You know, whatever you want to, you know, the players weren't caught off guard by the owners going to lock out on December the 2nd. But if you remember, the commissioner said he was hoping to accelerate the urgency. That was the term he used by, by doing this. Uh, and there's been no effort by either side to really accelerate any urgency to get this done. And now they've, they sort of dropped a turd on everybody, all the baseball fans, on February like 2nd to 4th, that, hey, this really is has got the ability now to start to impact spring training and maybe impact the season. And you know what's particularly disgraceful about this is there's these communities in Arizona and Florida that yep. have paid millions of dollars of tax money. To build these stadiums, um, you know, as a as a return on investment in tourism and economic development, and baseball is basically like kind of pissed on them, you know, and it's uh, it's reprehensible,
0: really, is. Oh yeah, that 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 Sarasota community lives for February and March. Uh, that's that's when they thrive, and to not have the Orioles there, to not have them getting ready for another season. It it hurts their economy a great deal. I'm glad you brought that up, Sam, because you can't minimize, you can't undervalue just how big of a hit that those communities are going to take. Now, you you say, um, but it's both on the players and the and the. And the league that they haven't gotten together. Uh, a tweet from Jamison Tyon. He says, "If the goal is to get players on the field asap, then why did it take 43 days after the lockout to even hear from Major League Baseball? It didn't seem like a priority then. Why did we not get a counter-proposal this week? It's all extremely tired antics and optics. So, based on that, it seems like the players were have been waiting and waiting and waiting for the for Major League Baseball well, to, to them. Well,
3: when you're in a when you're in a situation like this, it. it it doesn't take m- much for you know. I mean that 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 rings a little hollow to me. That why did they not? Why did they wait forty three days? So so in other words, you were calling them every day, saying let's get together with meetings. Um, you know that that doesn't hold a lot of water to me. Uh, you know, while I'm while I'm less sympathetic to ownership uh, in general. I think uh, sort of this is a pox on both of their houses.
0: Yeah, and I, and I said this to Ryan. Uh, and by the way, Ryan Blake is sitting in for Zach Goodman on the show today. If you uh, were not aware okay. of that, um, okay. No, I was
3: unaware of that. Yeah, Hi, man, Ryan, how you doing? Good,
0: good, good. Um, but yeah, I, I I was saying to Ryan b- before the show started, and actually at the beginning of the show, that look the. There's a lot of people siding with the players in this one. I'm not siding with either side. I think both of these sides are at fault. I think that it was a joke that the that the league came back with 10 million when the players were asking for 105 million, and then I think that the, that the players' reaction to that was a joke also because they acted like, well, you're giving us a slap in the face. We'll slap you in the face. We're only going to lower our demands by $5 million. Neither right. side is operating in good faith. Uh, but it, the reason that the players, are that the union is, not the union, that the league is coming under more fire right now is because they're the ones that started the lockout. They're the ones that put this in place. And now instead of propo- uh, arguing in good faith, they're saying, you know what, let's get a mediator in here. Uh, but... I'm not convinced, Dan. I'm almost, I'm all but certain that the players would have would have striked had it gotten to that point. I don't think the regular season would have started if the if Major League Baseball hadn't locked them out. I think a strike was no, but you, regardless. But, but again,
3: you're you're fighting two you're fighting the real war and you're fighting the PR war. And there's no question that ownership looks more to blame that they they they're the ones that initiated a lockout and they cited the reason that they hoped it would accelerate the urgency. And then what James Tyon said is true, that it's it really should have been incumbent upon them because they're, they're supposed to be the real grown-ups in the room, you know, yeah. uh, Major League Baseball. You know, they're the stewards. They're really the stewards of the game, and they owed, they owed a better effort here. Yeah, and, and then and uh, the and the, the discussion about a mediator is that's that's a PR that that's a PR stunt, you know. 100%. I mean, I'm my days of my days of thinking that a federal mediator is just going to come in and wave a magic wand and go, "Hey, uh, you just split this in half. You just split this in half." You know, th- those things generally aren't incredibly successful. I would like to see both sides embrace that. And truly give it a chance, but you know uh, it, it's more a PR battle, and it is, really is. It really is stupid of the Players Association not to at least say, "Yeah, we'll, we'll go along with that." That doesn't mean the fact that you agree to mediation doesn't mean you're going to give in on every point, because it's not a binding uh, arbitration or mediation. It's a you know, it's an agreed to. Uh, and when you agree to it, in under these circumstances, there would be no way that that mediator can compel you to make certain decisions. They just try and come in and get everybody thinking more common sense and trying to find middle ground.
0: Well, Alex Wood, a pitcher for the Giants, he puts out a tweet yesterday that says, it will probably take two weeks just for an impartial mediator to get called up enough to proceed. They then use an already broken system slash CBA as guideline toward a new deal. Makes zero sense for anybody. Players are ready to make a fair, mutually beneficial deal. So the reason the players are are against this is because they think that this mediator is going to come in and operate based on the guidelines of the previous CBA, which the players didn't do not like at all, and they're they're afraid that it's not really going to be impartial. Because yeah, I mean
3: that's 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 really the the thrust of that that's really the thrust of this whole thing it, when you distill it down is the players don't want to sort of move to the middle of where they are because they didn't like where they were, you know? Yeah. And that gets back to the people with really a negotiation is really about the people that are handling the negotiation, not necessarily the issues, you know, somehow Rob Manfred, When he worked for Major League Baseball and wasn't the commissioner of Major League Baseball, he worked pretty well with Michael Weiner. Michael Weiner tragically died of brain cancer about six years ago, and Tony Clark was put in a position he wasn't really ready for, and uh, Rob Manford kind of took him to the cleaners, and we're still suffering from that right now.
0: Absolutely. Now, we are well aware that spring training is not going to start on time. I I saw something yesterday that on Thursday, Rob Manfred's probably going to come out. Bob Nightingale said this, so you take what he says with a grain of salt, but he said that Manfred's going to come out on Thursday and say spring training will be delayed. I I don't think there's any getting around that, but Stan, are we now looking at potentially the Major League season being pushed back? I mean, the last time this happened it took seven months to agree on a new uh, CBA. Are we looking at a loss of regular season games at this point.
3: I, th- I think we're pretty darn close to it. You know, I mean, I think uh, I think there's about a, a two two and a half weeks from this point in time we will be in real major jeopardy of that if there's not some sign of some progress. You know. Yeah. No. Once I... you once you do see some sign a sign of progress, things end up. You, you know. It's sort of a folded ten at that time if things start moving in a direction. But they just haven't started to move in that direction at all, no. in any direction right
0: now. Not at all. Not at all. Nope. So it's, it's, nope. um and, and especially, Stan, how bad of a look is this? for? I mean, we know it's a bad look for baseball. But you had a 60-game season in 2020 because of the pandemic where both, both sides were squabbling like brother and sister through the whole thing, and they couldn't agree on anything longer than 60 games. That was really put in place... Um, by an arbiter it was like, look, we're, we're just going to do 60 games because that was the minimum that they could do. Uh, now you're looking at a year and a half later, they're still arguing over the same things. They can't get on the same page. They've really yeah. had such a long time and they put it off so much and now get, regular season yeah, games are in what's, jeopardy. What's,
3: partic- what's particularly disgraceful, I'm sorry to interrupt your question, but on, what's right. particularly disgraceful is after what they went through in 2020, um, they... They could have looked down the road and said, man, we, you know, Manfred and Tony Clark have gotten together at some point with with other a couple other people in the room and said, man, we, we cannot embarrass ourselves by pissing on the game. You know, I'm using that term. And they, they really have really done nothing to, you know, to really be true stewards of the, the game at this point in time, you know. The game is going to take a hit. I mean, they look particularly bad right now when, you know, the fact that they've had 26 years of labor peace doesn't really measure up to a rat's ass of anything right now, you know, because it, they look, both sides look incredibly selfish and incredibly incapable of grasping what, they're, what the damage that they're doing to the game.
0: Now, so it's easy to sit here and say, well, if they had done this, well, the other side would have done that, and maybe this would have happened. There's no way to really know. But do you think that if the the league, when the players uh, made their first proposal saying $105 million bonus pool, if the league had come back with something in the 40 to $50 million range, that the players would have then had more wiggle room, come with a more realistic re-proposal, or do you think that this is basically just too... Two sides drawing a line in the sand, and it doesn't matter how far you come to me, I'm not stopping till I get what I want.
3: Uh, it sure seems like that. You know, I mean, it's it's really hard to imagine how they could be that far apart on something like that. You know.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, moving on to some Orioles news, Stan. We yep. had um. And, and, I
3: know it's I know it's uh you know it's odd to move on. You know, I I, I click on to Rumors dot com every day hoping for a little bit of good news about something and all they write about are the post-lockout uh, moves that the you know the, the Texas Rangers make. might make the Phillies might make you know right. that's that's all they have to write about right now but yeah. go ahead
0: you know. so he he's a big part of uh, press box's best of issue that's that's out in stores right now um, Cedric Mullins puts up one of the greatest seasons in the history of the franchise And he comes out the other day and says, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease before last season. He had surgery, had 10 10 centimeters of intestine removed, got an infection, lost 20 pounds, and then all he does is go out, put up a 30-30 season, start the All-Star game in center field, and win a Silver Slugger. How much more impressive was the season Cedric Mullins just put up based on what we know now that he was dealing with?
3: Well, it it really does sort of ratchet it up a little bit, uh, or quite a bit. You know, to, to understand the physical disabilities he was dealing with at the time. So, uh, you know, I I've said it was an incredibly remarkable season, uh, and uh, there's nothing else you can say. It's even a little bit more remarkable than, than it than it appeared on the surface.
0: Oh, and by the way, he also gave up switch hitting while dealing with all that, and decided just to yeah. hit from the left side, yeah. right? So yeah. now. Yeah. We've been talking, Stan, ever since the season ended, that we should expect a regression from Cedric Mullins. But now he's got a fully healthy offseason. He can put that weight back on. He's been killing it in the weight room, as we've seen on his Instagram videos. Uh, How much of a regression should we really expect, knowing that he's now going to be healthier than he was at this point last year with an opportunity to come out and put up another big season?
3: Well, we're, we're all clearly not going to know that, you know, until, until they start playing games that mean something. But, right. you know, the intangible in all this is that Cedric Mullins battled through not only the, the disease he was fighting, Crohn's disease, which is particularly debilitating, but he was fighting through what, in my opinion, had to be an amazing crisis of confidence, you know, and what... With all the analytics in the world and all the talk about the regression to the mean, you know, which is a, a highfalutin way of saying that if somebody out of nowhere hits two ninety and thirty home runs and thirty stolen bases after what he had appeared to be as a player, it's it's fairly un- understood that well he won't do that again. But it doesn't take into the it doesn't take into the equation the human part of this thing which is the confidence factor. So I, I would think the chances are greater that Cedric Mullins would be a 260 hitter and 14 home runs and still steal 30 bases and play a terrific center field and potentially be a bit of an igniter at the top of the order. But, but we won't know that. He, he might have just moved into a different realm as a player because of confidence
0: yeah uh, you can't understate confidence and there, there's no number, there's no analytic, there's no saber metric that that, yep. can, that can measure confidence and belief in one'self. And you know what we don't mention is that on top of all that, he was fighting for a job last spring. He was battling with Austin Hayes. People were labeling, myself included, labeling him as a fourth outfielder. He had to go in there while giving up hitting from the right side. Had to go in there and fight for a job and win it outright. And that's exactly what he did. Now he gets to go in there and really relax and really go off because he doesn't have to worry about that. He knows that on March 31st, God willing, he'll be marching out to center field for the Orioles as their starting center fielder. He's got that job locked down how big of an impact could that have for him that now he doesn't have to look over his shoulder, he can relax and really play his game?
3: Well, I mean, that's what we were just talking about with the confidence yeah. factor. I mean, remember, remember, he he scratched and clawed in 2020 to make himself appear to be relevant to Brandon Hyde and somebody worthy of playing time. But how many bunt hits did he have that year? I Nine. think it was like about... 10 or 12 bunt hits that year, That's that. those bunt hits are, would allow him to have the numbers that still gave the Orioles hope that he could be a meaningful player. And it probably wasn't, all, I'm guessing it was probably an Austin Hayes injury that opened up the chance for him to really start playing again. That's exactly you know? what and it was then,
0: when he got drilled by that pitch in Philly and he broke his ribs. He was out yep. for a month and Cedric came in and took off yep. running.
3: Yeah, but, uh, you know, again, it's it's just a remarkable story. And, again, the analytics, you know, yeah, they're probably right more times than they're not, but they're not right 100% of the time, yeah. you know.
0: Now, somebody else who was famously dealing with off-the-field issues last year was Trey Mancini, and he's now 18 months removed, from just about 18 months removed from uh, his, finishing his final chemotherapy session. L- look, I-, I don't care what anybody says. While what Trey Mancini did last year was absolutely remarkable and miraculous, for Trey Mancini, by his standards that he set, he had a down year last year. You know, I, he, he, At one point, he was leading the league in, in RBIs, and then he finished the year with like 71 runs one runs driven in, a 255 bat or 251 batting average. It was a down year for Trey Mancini, and that's to be expected coming off of what he came off of. Can we look at Trey Mancini and say, he's another year removed, and while we know you're never the same after going through something like that, do you expect a return to the norm for Trey, something closer to 280 and maybe closer to 30 home runs? Or do you think that Trey kind of is the player now because of everything he went through that we saw in the past?
3: Um, you know, I, look, I, I've talked about this before. I had him on my fantasy team and I paid, I paid a fair value for him. I, I definitely paid a little higher than I should have. Uh, and what I didn't take into account in my, you know, because my, oh, my fantasy league drafts by auction and you get emotionally involved with both the player that you're bidding on And also, you have to calculate who's off the board. So you sort of do a calculation of who's still going to be available. So I paid $26 for Trey Mancini, which is not top, top drawer, but it was significant with what he was up against. And up until July 4th or 5th, it looked like I had made a a terrific acquisition. And then it was like after the all-star game and all that energy he used in that, which I believe he was almost running on adrenaline fumes at that point. Mm-hmm. He From from the all-star game on, I think he hit about five home runs and drove in about 16, 16 or 18 runs, yeah. something like that. It was just not Trey Mancini. And in retrospect, I guess you could say and feel pretty confident in saying he just hit a hit a wall and he didn't have yeah. much left in the tank, you know. And what made it a little bit more ex- exacerbated was that he was so prideful and, and there wasn't anything like he was hurting the Orioles' chances to make the playoffs. Right. They were thrilled to have him out there every day because of what he had gone through and what it symbolized. But chances are... A two-week stint on an IL, you know, where he just would have sort of rested and relaxed a little bit probably would have helped him overall put up better numbers in the second half of the season. But you can understand from his point of view, it was sort of like um, it was a challenge for him to not go on the D- the IL last year after what the previous year had given him. So kudos to Trey Mancini. Uh, and yeah, I would think that he will be much more likely to be the player he was, you know, before before cancer
0: surgery. We, that would be a serious coup for the Orioles if that if that's the case. I, I maybe I'm the only one who knows this. Trey Mancini's never been a particularly muscular guy, but to me, he looked noticeably thinner li- yeah. last year. Yes, yes, he, yes. he, he was yes. noticeably thinner. Slower,
3: he looked slower. You know, his bat speed slowed. Um, and he and he did look thinner to me, no question and, about it. I mean, the season clearly wore on him, and and frankly, it would be a person would be superhuman not to have had right. the kind of fatigue that he had, you know.
0: Now, here's the thing with that. We see these workout videos from Ryan Mount, Mountcastle and Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins. You're not seeing anything from Trey Mancini. I'm wondering if he's doing things behind the scenes and he's going to show up looking like a different guy. Uh, have no, I, I have we, no idea. We, we, we really have no idea. But let's say yep. that he does and he puts up Trey Mancini not numbers, like say like 2019, Um do you think the Orioles are more inclined to try to extend him at that point, or are they more inclined to try and trade him? What does your gut tell you in regards to that?
3: Don't don't have a real strong gut feeling on that right now because I, I just don't know what the club's economics are going to be. No, you know, that's, that's I mean, I, I mean, look, listen, they drew seven hundred and seventy thousand people last year through a hundred and sixty-two game schedule. That's eighty-one home dates. Um. And, and now they are sort of fighting the battle to sell tickets, both with an inferior team and and their hands are tied behind their backs, unable to sell tickets right now, you know, in any meaningful way. Uh, I, I can't tell you, I can't cite how many uh, single-game tickets they sold the other day. I think they went on sale. But I guarantee you wasn't the number it would have been if this were four years ago yeah, you know um so i can't calculate what their their numbers are going to be you know they're spending in the other areas of player development the latin america effort the um uh and the minor leagues you know what they're drafting and signing their players they appear to be okay but i don't know how much they have in terms of budgeting for payroll so my, my feeling is that Trey is sort of still going to be the, the, the last guy that they sort of, he and Means are sort of the guys that might not make it to the next, to the next round.
0: You know. Yeah, uh, we're definitely going to be in a wait and see. First and foremost, we got to get back on the field. So yep. let's, uh, let's yep. get that figured out, and then we'll figure everything else after that. Stan, thanks All so right. much for joining us. Always right. You're great doing to talk a
3: terrific you. job, Paul, under the circumstances. I know it's not easy to come in and sort of manufacture stuff to talk about,
0: but you're doing a good job. Thank you, sir. I certainly appreciate that. It means All right. A lot. Have a great Thank weekend. Talk to you next week. Okay. take All care right. Ahead. Bye-bye. Not with Stan the fan, Charles, joining us for his weekly segment as he always does every Saturday here on the batter. And I just want to remind you that Stan has two great shows for you every week, every Monday night. Stan and former Orioles pitcher Gross. Ross Grimsley. Ross Grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein chat with a different mi- newsmaker from the world of sports. And actually, it's on Thursdays now. Um, Stan and Gary uh, do their show on Thursdays now. This week, Stan and Ross host the Baseball Roundtable with Adam Gladstone and Big League Chew founder Rob Nelson. Then, Stan and Gary welcome the Athletics Ravens uh, the Athletics Ravens beat writer Bo Smolka. Find those shows under the videos tab at facebook.com slash Sports or PressBox online.com slash video. Coming up on Monday, Stan and Ross will be joined by the Otter himself, former Orioles closer Greg Olson. We're going to catch a break. When we come back, uh, we are going to talk to Rich Dubroff from BaltimoreBaseball.com. That and more on the battle round. Glory Days Grill's winter seasonal menu is back
4: with comfort classics like their house made meatloaf and short rib grilled cheese. It also features the center cut sirloin with grilled shrimp, the char grilled pork tenderloin, grilled meatloaf sandwich, smoky thigh wings with Alabama barbecue sauce, and a Brussels and bacon appetizer. All of these items pair well with Devil's Backbone 8 point IPA or their anniversary IPA brewed by Devil's Backbone. And try their seasonal cocktails, Blood Orange Urban Cider, Apple Ginger Mule and Captain's Hot Cider. Find out more and get your order in today at glorydaysgrill.com. Great
5: food, good sports. That first sip.
2: From all of the biggest games to the smallest events, make every bet worth your while at MyBookie. Start by doubling your first deposit instantly with MyBookie's first deposit bonus up to $1,000. Double your money before you even place a bet, and all you have to do is sign up and deposit using the exclusive promo code PRESSBOX at MyBookie.ag. If your first deposit is $100, MyBookie adds $100 so you can start with $200 to play with. If your first deposit is $1,000, MyBookie adds $1,000 so you can start with $2,000 to play with. With tons of great games and prop bets to take advantage of this week, there is truly something for everyone. Don't wait any longer. Head to MyBookie today to redeem your double deposit bonus so you can start winning big today. That's promo code PRESSBOX to receive double your first deposit instantly in your account. No hassle, no wait. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie.
6: The latest issue of Pressbox is available now and it's our very special annual Best of Issue on the cover. We celebrate Justin Tucker as our Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, honoring his historic on-field achievements, but also the unprecedented relationship he shared with Baltimore. Inside, we recognize the top people, performances and moments of 2021, including Cedric Mullins' incredible season and the dominance of local Paralympic athletes. Press box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and at pressboxonline.com
0: Welcome back to the Bataround on Paul Valley again sitting in for Zach Goodman today is Ryan Blake gracious enough to join us today and help us out a little bit. Uh, The first hour of the show is just about in the books and it's been brought to you today by Toyota uh, RAV4. Make the most out of every day in a Toyota RAV4 available in hybrid or gas only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. And We have a few minutes before we get Rich Rich Dubrow from BaltimoreBaseball.com on the line here. Ryan, we were just talking about it in during the break, really about Trey Mancini and what he means to this team. And, uh, and like you said to me during the break, Trey's a ball player. Trey knows what he just did last year. He knows coming back from cancer, putting up the season that he put up, being back on the field. He could have hit 190, would have been the comeback player of the year. Yeah. Trey knows that. Trey also knows that his season was substandard when it comes to Trey Mancini. Not a doubt in my mind that that dude's working his butt off right now, and he wants to come back and put up 2019 Trey Mancini numbers. You're inclined to think that he's a trade chip, though, rather than somebody that they're going to going to extend long term.
1: Well, you mentioned he's he's on the wrong side of 30 at this point, and you know you don't know how many good years he has left. But you know you did say, you know Mancini's a ball player, and he's always going to have the story. He's always going to be this feel good story. But he wants to go out there and rake. He wants to. He wants to replicate his 2019 numbers, you know, 35 home runs, hit almost 300. Uh, that's the kind of ballplayer that Trey Mancini wants to be. He doesn't want to be the guy who beat cancer. He wants to be one of the best hitters in baseball. And that's what I think he's capable of. But with the situation the Orioles are in, you know, with this rebuilding team, we don't know if it's going to be another couple years before they're sniffing a, a 500 record. But I think he's got to be a guy who, if he comes out swinging and he's he seems to have returned to form, I think there's going to be a market for him. And I think the Orioles have to consider... Uh, you know, moving him, especially considering you've got Ryan Mountcastle now, who's going to be a staple in your lineup, who plays the same position Mancini does. You've got Kobe Mayo and Gunnar Henderson are both going to come up probably as third baseman. One of them's going to have to DH every once in a while. Uh, you know, you're not sure where there's going to be a spot for a guy like Mancini a few years down the road when these young guys are knocking on the door and you've got a guy who can only play first base and DH.
0: Yeah, and, and some of the guys that you didn't mention, like a Heston Kerstad or a Kyle Stowers, you know, yeah. so you have a ton of guys who you know are probably going to hit, but they might not have a position. Somebody's got a DH. Somebody's got to play right field. Somebody's got to play first base. And Trey Mancini, being the fact that he's going to be 31 years old when uh, when his uh, final season with the Orioles is over, or pushing 31, because he'll, he'll, I believe he turns 30, in March this
1: year. Yeah, I think you're right.
0: And so by the time that he hits free agency, he'll be entering his age 31 season. How does he factor into the Orioles' plans when they have all these guys who are younger who can hit just as well, if not better, and not all of them have a position? Heston Kerstad is was arguably the best left-handed hitter in the country uh at the at the amateur level. Uh when he, when he got drafted number 2 overall by the Orioles. He's back on the field now. Hopefully you're going to see him really hit the hit, hit the ground running and take off for them. Where are you going to play him? You've got to you've got to have places in your order. And Trey Mancini may be pushing himself out. So if Trey Mancini's twenty five years old, we're having a different conversation about. Absolutely, him. and it but it, he's thirty.
1: Yeah, and it, it, I think it's still a little bit too early at this point, And I know I brought this up myself, but it's it's a little early to consider moving him because you've got these young guys. Oh, no, yeah, up absolutely. The Obviously, they're not here yet. It's going to be a couple years before they are. But you have to at least have that on the back burner. And, you know, I I mentioned Mountcastle. He's already here. He's already a staple. You don't want to put Mountcastle back in left field. You want to be able to play him at first base every day. And you want to be able to give guys days at at designated hitter. You know, consider a guy like Mullins who's, who's fighting what he is at this point. You know, you want to give him a rest every once in a while, but you want to keep his bat in the lineup. So, Adley you know, Rutschman's a guy who's going to DH probably thirty times this year. Yeah. So, so you know, you have to consider where is where is a guy like Trey going to be, and if you can get some value back for him, if you know, like I said, if he comes out swinging, he's returned to form a little bit. You, you you've got to see what you can get for him. At least at least float his name out there.
0: No, I I, I absolutely agree. And, and guys, this is the thing that you have to you have to come to grips with in, in a rebuild, is that there's going to be players that you love, that you fall in love with. For me, it was Jonathan VR in 2019. The, the season that he put up was so phenomenal in 2019. He was one of the... He was legitimate. If you go back and you look at the season that Jonathan VR put up, he had 24 homers. He stole over 40 bags. He hit about 279. Uh, you look at, the, at that, he put up one of the best seasons in the American League that year, and nobody talked about it because he was a Baltimore Oriole. And then the Orioles—they didn't want to pay him 12 million, so they traded him for Easton Lucas. Uh, this is—that's a guy who I was so upset to see go, and it, that's going to continue to happen because—and now it's not going to be because you want to try and get prospects for him. It's going to happen because these prospects are turning into players that you want to have on your team. And so some of these guys, some of these—and the other thing is some of these prospects that you've fallen in love with, like a Kyle Stowers or a Jordan Westberg. They might not be here either. They might get traded. Somebody that you love is going to get traded. And it's just something you've got to be ready for. And that's what you deal with when you have too little positions for too many good players.
1: Yeah, and it sucks, but it's it's part of the game. You know, like you said, it's something you just have to deal with, unfortunately. Absolutely. We're about to get Rich Dubroff uh, on the line here. And Rich, Rich's
0: appearance today is brought to you by the press the latest print issue of Pressbox.
1: Yes, indeed. There are only a few days left to pick up Pressbox's annual best of print issue. On the cover, we celebrate Justin Tucker as our Mo Gabba Sportsperson of the Year, honoring his historic on-field achievements, but also the unprecedented relationship he shared with Baltimore. Also inside, we recognize the top people, performances, and moments of 2021, including Cedric Mullen's incredible season and the dominance of local Paralympic athletes. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. All right, and joining us live on the line now
0: from BaltimoreBaseball.com, he is Rich Dubroff. Rich, thanks for joining us today and giving us a couple minutes of your time on a Saturday morning.
7: Great. Well, thanks for having me on, Paul.
0: Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show with us here, Rich. Um, first and foremost, how are you? Haven't talked to you in a, in a couple of months. How you been? Uh, I'm. I'm...
7: I'm cold. Yeah, we all I'm are. Little, I'm cold. I'm a little eager for a uh, little antsy, getting eager for baseball, but otherwise I'm I'm just fine. I had a I had a list of books that I was going to try and read during this period and unfortunately, I think I may uh, come close to getting through that
0: list. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately because you'd rather have baseball to talk about and baseball to pay attention to and we just don't have that right now, Rich. Um seems like the the union and the league can't get on the same page. Now the league's trying to get a federal mediator in to do things, and the players are pumping the brakes on that. They don't want any part of that. Uh, what's the latest you can tell us about what's going on with these CBA negotiations?
7: Well, it just seems like it just it, it just seems like they they move backwards a bit here. Yeah. Uh, you know I, I you know I've been following it. I've been following it uh, as a lot of people have from from reading about it. And I thought somebody had a, a good analogy uh when the players and the uh and the owners were talking and seemed like they had you know uh, productive conversations uh a bit you know maybe last week uh they said well maybe it it uh, moved from uh third and sixteen to fourth and fourteen you know uh, yeah. uh that there was incremental there was incremental progress uh but uh, still a lot oh, a lot to go and now it just seems like it there it just seems like this is going to take a, a long while to get done and, and that's not very good i mean i was i was always optimistic uh-huh. you know i'm an optimist by na- i'm an optimist by nature i had hoped well you know i hoped that there wasn't going to be a lockout and then when the lockout came i thought oh well they'll they'll get it done by february 1st and spring training would open on time and i get to You know, get on my flight to Sarasota and spend six weeks in spring training, and that's not going to happen. And now I've gone all the way to thinking that if they get this thing done by April 1st, it's, uh, you know, that's sort of uh, what I'm looking at now. I mean, I'd like to say they could get it done in three weeks. I mean, they they need to get this thing done in three weeks if they're going to start the season on time. Basically, I mean, March 1st is sort of, if they can get it done by March 1st, they can start the season on time. Now, these things can turn very quickly.
0: Oh, absolutely. You
7: know, um, I'm, I've am i seen, you know, in my own family, I've seen, you know, uh, labor talks and I've, you know, had my father on strike a number of times in the, you know, in the far distant past and know that, you know, and know that labor, uh, labor talks move very slowly and then they find some common ground and they, they work it out because they have to work it out and i and what the players are saying is the mediator is not going to help um, you know pe- because people might think oh well they are they're gonna a mediator could help them compromise well it's not an arbitrator you know who's going to give you who's going to lay down the uh... you know the terms of the agreement Right. Uh, and they're 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 just feeling that this would slow things down, that they were making some progress, and that here the the owners are 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 using this as a as a delaying tactic, because up till now, you know, owners have had all the owners have had all the the leverage. Uh, pretty soon, the players are going to start getting the leverage, because if there are no games on opening day, well. You know, players are withhold players will will, will be withholding their services, and every everybody loses in a strike. Everybody loses. Mm-hmm. You know, the the players, the the owners, the fans all lose in the strike. But but until the players can withhold something, then the owners still have the leverage. You know, the owners you know the, the owners have lost already because they have not gotten you know, the publicity that they would have gotten out of the off-season. So the last two months or so, you know, they, they haven't been able to have their fan fests and their conventions and their caravans and their, visit, their Christmas visits to, to groups, you know, to schools and stuff and, and charities per, with players, and that's hurting. You know, that hurts the game. There's been no good publicity. About the game and, and spring training, especially the early part of spring training, is an infomercial for the owners. You know, the owners, um, you know, the, the owners use that this, to, you know, to get people interested in, in baseball again. Oh, the weather's nice. The weather's nice down here. Good times are coming. Well, they're not going to get any of that. So, you know, I know that's a very long-winded way of answering your question, but that's that's where we are.
1: Hey, Rich, this is Ryan Blake sitting in for Zach this week. Uh, When when Paul and I opened the show, we we were touching on this a little bit, and I mentioned that I I feel like personally that the players eventually are going to budge and have a little more leeway. Then we had Stan the Fan Charles on for his weekly segment, and he said that he thinks the owners could shift at any moment. How do you personally see this playing out? Do you think it's more likely that the owners or the players start to budge a little bit more? Because I think that the players are going to want to get back on the field, but the flip side of the coin is that the owners don't want to miss out on revenue by losing out on regular season games, what do you think?
7: Well, well, Ryan, I think it's both. Um, what whatever settlement they get on March first or April first, they could have gotten on December first. Mm-hmm. And what I learned firsthand in my family in labor negotiations, you know, my father was a was a union member, and in his in his younger days, he would say he was gung ho about, well, let's strike, you know, let's get, let's show them and then he'd realize that whatever incremental gains were made in in a lengthy strike was not worth the cost that was paid okay whatever the players and the owners are going to get from this they could have gotten on you know could have they could have gotten this on december 1st if they had if they had wanted to and what they're doing is losing you know, is losing goodwill. They're losing, they've already lost ticket sales that they're not going to get back. People who would go to spring training don't want to go to spring training because they don't know if they're going to see games. I mean, I've heard from many fans who are upset because this was the year, you know, after two, um, two incomplete spring trainings, uh, fans were, onto, were eager to go down to, to Sarasota and have a good time and they're not going to go because they don't know what's going you know they don't know what's going to happen so you know the the club loses out on ticket sales and the restaurants and hotels and other attractions in Sarasota lose out on uh, lose out on, on money that people would have spent down there and and people get turned off i mean i remember the 94 95 strike there were a number of people who said, "Well, I'm never going back to games," and you know, a lot of them never did go back to games. I know fans always do say that, and the majority of them go back, but they will—they will end up losing. They, if they have a strike, they will that, that lasts into the season. They will end up losing uh, customers that they will not get back, and so whatever gains they get will not be worth it.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that what owners are failing to realize here is like look in, in 2020 you had no fans in the stands in 2021 you had limited capacity for much of the season uh, and people weren't getting their season tickets in October, November, December, January because they weren't sure when they were going to be allowed back to the ballpark so why spend money on tickets you might not be able to use now you enter 2022 and, and Rich they've contacted me I still have a credit uh, from 2020 uh, for, for, my, for my ticket plan and i'm not buying any tickets right now because i don't know when they're going to be back on the field they are losing money right now because i think a lot of people feel like i do why am i going to spend money on your product when i don't know if there's going to be a product to spend the money on
7: sure uh, i think you're i think you're you're absolutely right and baseball you know baseball has looked really bad in the last few months yep while the last nfl few years, really. while the nfl has presented some of its most compelling games in history. Absolutely. And the NFL, the NFL has a boatload of problems. You know, they have the, the, the Washington commander's uh, sexual impropri- impropriety scandal, the Brian Flores lawsuit this week, uh, you know, concussions. We can go on and All on. All the
0: stuff with the Raiders that happened Right,
7: right, right, and the Raiders. Yeah, I mean, we can go on and on, but their ratings are strong. And baseball's ratings are weak because baseball can't get it. Baseball can't get its to act together. It's like, it's like if you ask fans, like okay, let me ask you two, you you two guys are, are you know committed fans. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the, Do you think that baseball games take too much time?
0: I don't. I, I, neither I, do I. I, I don't. I, I want as much baseball as I can get. It. Okay.
7: It's... Well, see, I do. I see. I, I, okay, you're okay with World Series games going no. three hours and fifty minutes?
0: No, I, I I will tell you right now the commercial breaks lasting five minutes during the postseason is absolutely ridiculous. The fact that it took two and a half hours to complete a f to complete four innings in an Astros White Sox game this postseason, that's right. ridiculous. And that's right. all, that's I all mean, about okay. the money.
7: Yeah, but what ha- but but um they could put a pitch clock in. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think they need a pitch uh, but, clock 100%. But they wouldn't do it, but they won't do it. But Manfred won't do it because that will anger the that will anger the players. The players say that they don't want anything that will uh, distract from their art. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what they've, you know, that's basically what they've said. Mm-hmm. And baseball needs to, you know, baseball's a great game and it needs to change, you know, it needs to change. Hopefully here with the Orioles Moving in this fence, moving out the fence, will let will make the game a much more interesting one, you know, to watch whether they you know whether they win or lose. Um, but we've had a game that's too much dependent on home runs, strikeouts, and yeah. walks, and shifts. And you know, I at first was against um, shift rules. Mm-hmm. I figured, oh well, players will find a way. But no, players are rewarded for hitting home runs, yeah, and they're not rewarded apparently for hitting singles. So uh, they continue to to bat into the shift, and so let's let's try moving. You know, let, let's try the regulation with with two guys on each side of second base.
0: Yeah, I, I I'd be for that personally. Yeah, no. but you see, but that's the kind of stuff
7: we need. Football jiggers its rules around uh, all the time. To make it, and in a lot of ways, it's it's overregulated, right? You know, over- overlegislated because people can't necessarily understand the rules, uh, and be- baseball hasn't done that. But baseball, baseball has gone too far in not adapting. It took forever to go to instant replay, and now with instant replay, now with instant replay, there's stuff that you know you think should be they should be able to look at, but they can't by rule. <laughs> which is which seems absurd, yeah and why why doesn't baseball do what football does and allow and have the crew chief explain what the you know explain controversial calls Absolutely. on the field i mean you when you sit in the sta- when you sit in the stands or I'm in the press box and I see a play and the manager and the manager and the umpire are arguing about it we don't necessarily know what the argument is about mm-hmm. and and why why baseball doesn't have the umpires explain to the fans and to the media i mean after the game then we're asking the manager well what you know what was that argument about lots of times right so uh baseball needs to b- baseball is so busy the the owners and the players are so busy fighting each other that they don't realize that they need to be out promoting the game and the, and this is all just, you know, hurting the game. Obviously, I'm purchased because this is my livelihood. This yeah, is what I absolutely. do. 20 this is what I do 24/7 365 days a year. So, uh, you know, I I have a vested in, I have a vested interest in it. But obviously, I'm a fan of the game too. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing this.
0: Right. Now, Rich, I do want to go back to what you were talking about, about the length of games. And the, I think that the reason that Ryan and I don't mind that the games go three hours and five minutes or on average is because really you're only talking about the difference in maybe seven to ten minutes on for average games if you implement certain things. I think more so the reason that we see these longer games now is because what you mentioned, the three true outcomes, baseball, the, the home run, the strikeout, and the walk, I think back in the day you would see shorter games because pitchers were going deeper in the games and pitchers were honing their craft. Now it's who can throw 100 miles an hour and give right. me five innings, and then we'll have four pitching changes in the last four innings that's going to take up a ton of time. I think if we put an emphasis back on honing your craft, being a more of a finesse pitcher, and being able to get guys out and to swing at your pitches, uh, rather than I can throw 100 and I can strike you out on five pitches, that would speed the, the game up alone.
7: Yeah, mom. I mean, you sound like, uh, you know, you, you sound like us older guys, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, But no, no, no. I mean, I hate to, you know, and I hate to say, and I'm, I hate to be when people say, oh, things were better in the old days. You know, there are a lot of stuff now. There's a lot of stuff that's better now. The infield play, the infield play that you see, especially in the postseason, is so much better than, than you've ever seen it in baseball. I mean, the athletes are the athletes are so much better now mm-hmm. than you've you know than you've ever seen in baseball. Yes, and and when we're talking about people throwing harder, because they can, because they're better athletes, right? You know, and we need to be you know, emph- we need to be emphasizing you know the great the great athletes that that baseball has, and hopefully, as I said, you know, maybe. Uh, you know maybe the new dimensions at the ballpark will will uh will make for uh you know more athleticism or more, you know so i think that's that that'll be interesting
0: i'm actually kind of excited i'm one of the few I'm kind of excited about what the new dimensions in the ballpark are going to do for this team because A, I think it's going to make the pitching a little bit better. I think it's going to attract free agent pitchers here once this team is more competitive and in contention. But I also think it ultimately should make the Orioles a better team of hitters because it's going to be like, okay, rather than try and hit a ball 420 feet to get it out of the ballpark, why don't I learn to spray the ball all over the field? And Then you have a guy like Colton Kalzer who's coming up through your system who already does that. You're going to see a lot more extra base hits. I think I think it makes you your team bet more complete hitters. What are your thoughts on that, Rich?
7: Well, I think so because I think when when Elias and and uh, and Sig May- Madol were uh, were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, um, they were talking about you know the Orioles have the the kind of athletic young players mm-hmm. who are going to be able to adapt to. It. I think even some of the guys they have now, Cedric Mullins and, and Austin Hayes. And maybe Ryan Ryan McKenna are and maybe even you know Jorge Mateo right. are going to be guys who they can uh, who can adapt to that. I mean, a great a, a really good player isn't going to you know already um, you know already hits to all fields. I mean, I say th- I think somebody like Adley Rutschman is going to be good no matter you know what the dimensions exactly of, of the ballpark are. And yes, I think that. I think that yeah that um it could attract free agent pitching but that's I think a long I think that that's that's a long way off cuz I think the team's going to have to show it, it it gets better and you know one of the things that if they have a strike and or a lockout and this continues and it's going to uh and it takes you know a month to settle settle it and you only have a 130 game season well, you don't really get the true look at the ball club that you want. I mean, mm-hmm. so many, so many people were fooled after the sixty-game season, yeah, because they were "quote unquote" only ten games over five hundred, under five hundred, and they thought, oh well, you know, teams much, you know, we're on our way. Well, you know, if that team had played one hundred and sixty-two games, I think they would have had a, a similar record to what they did last
0: year. I agree, and
7: I agree. you know, they were. And they were already at a nine, and that, that ten games under five hundred was basically a ninety-five loss season. I mean, if they played a, a full one hundred and sixty-two game season this year and they lost, you know, between ninety-five and a hundred games, I don't know that people would think that that was, you know, that that, that was great progress.
0: Yeah, no, I I, I agree with you. I, I looked that number up myself and saw ninety-five plus losses, and you see that this team was fifteen and sixteen after John Means no hitter. And then they fell off a cliff, and they ended up losing 110 ball games. I think that was that's very similar to what you would have seen in uh, 20 in 2020 had they played the 162 game season. We are on the same page there um, as far as that is concerned. Now regarding the Orioles and where they're headed, Adley Rutschman's going to be on this team sooner rather than later once they get back on the field. I've maintained for quite a while now that you don't ma- you don't um, Expose a guy like Adley Rutschman and Grace Rodriguez to the brand of baseball the Orioles have been playing for the last four years. Once Adley gets here, do you think that that expedites this process and maybe we start seeing a little bit more of the a, a, a little bit better baseball on the field? And to add to that question, there, Rich, Brandon Hyde's managing as a lame duck manager right now. I can't imagine they're not giving him talent to evaluate him properly in this fourth and possibly final season that he'll be here in Baltimore.
7: Yeah, well I, I think that uh Rutschman should you know R- Ru uh should improve the ball club because mm-hmm. the catcher is the most, you know, important uh you know, position player on the field. Uh and of course they hope that he'll have uh, you know, positive impact on the pitching staff as well as you know, as well as offensively. And, you know, a lot of the pitchers that he caught in, in the minor leagues did really well. So I I think that that you know I think that that's a good assumption, but just because you might have you know Adley Rutschman for five months and, and Grayson Rodriguez for three or four months uh, doesn't mean that the team's already uh, going to go from a hundred and ten losses to you know eighty eight. Right. Uh, you know that I mean that's sort of it. they they need other stuff. They need. They need some of these guys that they had on the pitching staff last year: Zach Lothar, Alexander Wells, Michael Bauman, Dean Kramer, uh, Zimmerman, Aiken. They need a couple of those guys to improve. Maybe you know Rutschman can get them to improve, or maybe they've you know matured and, and, and do well. But that's what they that's what they need for the ball club to start you know turning around. Because a lot you want people at the end of this season the goal really at the end of this season i think is to say as a fan are you feeling better about the team mm-hmm. than you you know than you than you have been in the, in these last few years i mean that's the go- that's the goal because now everybody's hoping everybody's down on the current team and they're they're hoping that with all this talent in the minor leagues that things are going to get better well you know once the top prospects come up, and and maybe some others, then uh, then our fans going to look at the product in the field and say, Ah, I see what they're you know doing. Now I can feel better, even if their record is if their record still isn't you know isn't that good. And I think that's in a lot of ways what what Hyde's going to be judged on.
0: Yeah, I, I, the, the time is now to start evaluating him. The first three years, I don't know how you could based on the talent that he was given, the roster that he was giving, the pitching that he was giving. I think this is the year where they need to look at him and say, how are you making this team better on a day-to-day basis? And I think that hopefully that does start this year. Now, Rich, before we let you go, um, real quick, Cedric Mullins we found out that he was diagnosed with Crohn's disease uh, prior to last season he had a surgery to remove 10 centimeters of his intestine, then he got an infection lost 20 pounds, and went out and put up, put up one of the greatest seasons in Orioles history, how, how much more impressive it was his season last year dealing with what he was dealing with and does that change our expectations because a lot of us are expecting a regression this year but does that maybe change the expectations knowing that now he has a full healthy offseason
7: well, you know, it, it what's fascinating to me is, you know, two of your best play two of your best players on the team uh recovered from uh very you know very serious illnesses. Yeah. And and you know and and Cedric was very private about it until now. Mm-hmm. Where Trey Mancini was was public about it and he did a a good sir, you know, he did uh, good things in, in raising awareness about, you know, the importance of, of getting colonoscopies and, and colorectal cancer. And hopefully Mullins will do the same with, uh, with with Crohn's disease. You know, I don't want to speculate on his, uh, you know, on his stats because it's going to be, it's going to be hard for him to have another 30-30 year, right. particular, particularly if they don't play 162
0: games. <laughs> that's true. That's true.
7: Um, so that you see, that's one of the, re- you know, as fans, you want 162 games. Cause that's how you evaluate. Exactly. You know, if he come and if they play 130 games and he has 23 homers and 22 stolen bases, Oh gee, what would he, you know, would he have gotten a 30, 30 again? You don't want to, you know, you don't want to do that. Right. So, uh, I just think that what he did was a, a very, uh, was very, very, a very good thing. And, you no, know, it was his choice and his right to remain private with uh, his issues as a lot of people do about their med- you know their medical issues uh whether they're you know whether they're ball players or whether they're just you know regular people who would who decide to keep their private Ill- their illnesses private so uh i i think that you know he should be uh he, he should be admired Uh, for his play on the field and now his work off the field.
0: Uh, Well, Rich, we certainly admire you here on the bat Around, man. You make my job easy. I really do appreciate you taking some time for us. We will talk to you again down the line. Enjoy the rest of your offseason. Hopefully it's not too much longer for you.
7: (laughs) Okay, thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Paul. Thank you, Ryan.
1: Take care,
0: Rich. that was Rich Dubroff uh, joining us for the program. And like I said, man, Rich makes my job that much easier because, like, We're sitting here on February 5th. There's been nothing in baseball since December 1st. Nothing. Even the Orioles signing of Jordan Lyles isn't official yet because he has to pass a physical and actually sign on the dotted line. And Rich just gave us 30 minutes of baseball conversation. That was awesome. That was awesome. It was great. we, we, we got to get another break here. Uh, when we come back, Ryan is going to sound off in Zach's place, and then we'll get to Orioles banter. That, that and more coming up on The better round.
4: gamblinghelp.org
8: Need to hone your computer skills to boost your career or maybe you want an IT certification? CCBC Continuing Education has the courses and programs you need for a career in the computer field and it's all tuition free. From the basics to specialized training, we have the classes you need from hardware to programming to cybersecurity and so much more. It's your choice. It's your career. Call 443-840-4700 or visit
4: ccbcmd.edu slash computer training. Glory Days Grill's winter seasonal menu is back with comfort classics like their house made meatloaf and short rib grilled cheese It also features the center cut sirloin with grilled shrimp, the char grilled pork tenderloin, grilled meatloaf sandwich, smoky thigh wings with Alabama barbecue sauce and a Brussels and bacon appetizer All of these items pair well with Devil's Backbone 8 point IPA or their anniversary IPA brewed by Devil's Backbone and try their seasonal cocktails Blood Orange Burger. Urban cider apple ginger mule and captain's hot cider find out more and get your order in today at glorydaysgrill.com great food good sports.
0: Hey guys, it's Paul Valley, and there's a new era of Glenn Clark Radio as I've joined Glenn every weekday from 10 a.m. to noon. There will be some changes, but what won't change is the absolute best daily discussion of Baltimore sports.
4: New Baltimore Ravens wide receiver, Rashad Bateman. Thank you, I appreciate it. He is outfielder Cedric Mullins. Thank you guys for having me. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. He is Kevin Zeitler. Uh, Thank you, very happy to be a part of this. Ravens kicker, Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely, thanks for having me on. John Angelos. Thanks a lot. Good to be with you. Ryan Mountcastle. Thanks for having me on, guys. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Quarterback for the University of Maryland, Talia Tungavailoa. Thank you guys for having me. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank you for having me. I had a great time.
0: The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be on.
4: Coach Mark Turgeon.
0: Appreciate it, guys. Thank you.
4: He is Mr. Cal Ripken Jr. Good chatting with you. You can
0: watch us live at facebook.com slash Sports or listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio. And podcasts are available on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.
4: The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today.
0: All right, welcome back to the bat around on a cold but sunny, cold but sunny uh, Saturday here in Baltimore. I don't know if you know this or not, but I, ta- I start every, almost every show during the offseason talking about the crap weather because I hate, I hate the winter. I hate the cold. Unless you live at a ski resort, there's no need. There's yeah. just no need for me. Don't even get me started on the lack of need for snow. Cannot stand it. Zach loves the winter. Loves the winter. He doesn't like this cold, but he loves it in the high 30s, low 40s. He loves that stuff. I, I don't understand. I almost fired him from the show for
1: that opinion. <laughs> Man, I got. I, I don't like the cold either at all. I, I will say I do like one good snow a year. Give me like 8 to 12 inches of snow just once and then warm it back up, baby. I, I do not want to be cold. I do not want to shovel snow. Uh, but, you know, I, I appreciate it every once in a while, but I, I hate having to put on – Four jackets when i go outside i wore two hoodies today i you know had another jacket over top of this one i just it's not my thing
0: yeah I, I'll, I'll tell you man you have you have a girlfriend who you're super into and when you guys get a house together you, I, I, you're living in an apartment right now right yeah, an apartment yeah. that does not have a very good heating system. We have well, a ton of blankets. Ah, uh, well, I, I, I think everybody has. Uh, I, my wife has a ton of blankets. I think that that's,
1: that's the thing. You know what I, I, mean? I actually got my girlfriend a weighted blanket for Christmas. Nice, nice.
0: Yeah. I, I got Laura a sleep pod that I thought that she would love. Her mom thought she would love it. She has never used it. She, oh, she basically told me it was a stupid gift when she opened it. She didn't say it in that many words. She was like, I'm just never going to use this. I was like you got
1: to be kidding me. Well, you, you won't know that she doesn't love it if she never uses it, so I guess that's a, a positive.
0: Uh, she uh, that That's true, but she wraps herself up in her blankets like a cocoon every single night, and this thing is basically a, a blanket cocoon. I thought, now you don't have to wrap yourself in your blankets because you have this, and she won't even give it a fair try. Whatever. I digress. <laughs> this is a baseball <laughs> show, not Paul's wife's uh, <laughs> um, blanket preferences. Um you're going to sound off on something. Ryan's uh, Ryan's sounding off segment is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy Football. While we can bet on sports in Maryland now, we still can't bet online or on our phones. However, you can feel like you're betting totally legally and right on your phone by playing Underdog Fantasy Football. We've got player props, parlays, and traditional fantasy games. They're all available. And Ryan... We're going to give you some free money to play with thanks to our friends at Underdog Fantasy Football. Go to underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app. Use the code PRESSBOX. And whatever you download, up to $100 we will match. That's right, up to $100 when you use the code PRESSBOX. If you want to go out there and and bet $13.17, we'll match you $13.17. Up to $100.
1: You can do that with Underdog Fantasy Football. Ryan, what do you have for us today? Well, first of all, I didn't know my segment had a sponsor, so that's that's pretty cool. I'm glad I wrote out what I wanted to say instead of just relying on bullet points uh, like I've done in the past. But uh, one of my personal favorite parts of the Major League Baseball offseason, and especially now that the Orioles have a top farm system that we can actually be excited about, is the release of prospect rankings. And I, I think we're going to get into that in a little bit. We, we may or may not, but uh, MLB Pipeline is putting theirs off until the lockout's over since they can't, or I guess at least won't. Uh, put any image or likeness of players on their website. So any 40-man roster guys are not going to be on their website. Uh, And as a result, MLB Pipeline's putting off their top 100 rankings at this point. But uh, whether you're in the mood to praise the people over at Baseball America for putting a bunch of the Orioles in the top 100, or you want to yell about how much Keith Law hates the Orioles, it's an opportunity to see... Uh, how your prospects stack up against those from around the league. And it's important to remember, though, and this is what I want to talk about, that these rankings are subjective and mm-hmm. most likely wrong, to put it bluntly. Uh, for example, uh, Baseball America ranks Colton Kowser 98th, behind both D.L. Hall and Gunnar Henderson, both of whom rank in the 50s, according to Baseball America. Baseball Prospectus ranks Kowser 46th, ahead of both Hall and Henderson, mm-hmm. both of whom are in the 80s on Baseball Prospectus' rankings. Uh, so... Simple mathematics will tell you that at least one of them has to be wrong, and perhaps both of them will be. Uh, Just for fun, though, let's take a look back at some MLB pipeline rankings. In 2015, John Means was ranked 29th in the Orioles system. Uh, You know who was ranked 9th that year, Paul? Pat Connaughton. Ah, the basketball player out of Notre Dame. The same Pat Connaughton who has averaged 5.8 points per game in his seven-year career in the National Basketball Association. He was ranked 20 spots ahead of John Means on the 2015 Orioles organizational rankings. Also in 2015, Trey Mancini was ranked 23rd. Uh, Ranked third that year for the Orioles was Christian Walker. Nice. Walker's accumulated 3.7 B-War in his career. Trey Mancini had 3.7 B-War in 2019. Uh, 2016, Jomar Reyes and Chance Sisko were the Orioles' top-hitting prospects. Ranked below them both was Ryan Mountcastle. Uh, John Means also fell out of the top 30 that year. In 2017, John Means appeared at 29, while Cody Sedlock and Chris Lee were ranked 2nd and 7th, respectively. Man, I forgot about Chris Lee. So did I until I was doing research for this bit. (laughs) Uh, Cedric Mullins was ranked 20th that year as well. Um, now, I don't say any of this to discredit any of the hard work that goes into ranking prospects. It's, uh, it's a field that I've been trying to get into for the last few years of my life, uh, sort of on hold now. But um, it's you know it's it's something that I hold near and dear, and I realize that to formulate these opinions based on you know tangible evidence and research requires pretty much a full time workload over the course of several months. Mm-hmm. Whether it's you know reading s- other scouting reports, doing film breakdown, things like that. It's a legit process, uh, but. Don't expect a list of 100 guys across baseball or 30 in an organization to translate directly to the bigs because that simply is not going to happen. Uh, another thing I wanted to point out was that the Orioles' best prospects are not limited to the guys you're seeing on these top 100 mm-hmm. lists. Just because you're not seeing someone like Kobe Mayo doesn't mean that two years down the road he's not going to be a top 20 or 30 prospect in baseball. You know, there are already people who are saying that, you know, the 2014 the 2024 rankings Mayo might be the top-hitting prospect in the game, yeah. which would certainly be exciting. But you don't see him on top 100 list right now because proximity plays an issue as well. Right. Um, our best pitcher five years down the road might not be Grayson Rodriguez or D.L. Hall. It might be Zach Peek or Drew Rahm or Gene Pinto. We don't know. Um, now, I, so- I know it sounds like I'm putting down the profession, which would be counterproductive, like I said, since I've been trying to get into this profession for a few mm-hmm. years now. But I-, I just understand how the human brain, and more specifically, the sports fan brain, functions. Um, it's so easy to overreact when we see these prospect rankings. It's easy to tweet your displeasure at Baseball Perspectives for being too low on Gunnar Henderson. It's easy to tell Keith Law he's an idiot because he thinks Grayson Rodriguez might have a mechanical flaw or two that puts him behind Shane Boz. You know? uh, but much like baseball is a game of failure, so is scouting. People are going to be wrong just as often, if not more often, than they're going to be right. The best we can do now as Orioles fans is be thankful that we have a farm system that boasts players many of you highly. And hope that translates to big league success in the future because we really won't know for sure until we see it.
0: So. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, to to your point, we had Kyle Glazer from Baseball America on the show last week talking about the prospects. And I was asking why Jordan Westberg's not on the list and, uh, and a guy like Kyle Stowers, who was a co-minor league player of the year for the Orioles last year and led the, led the farm in home runs and, and I think he was second in RBIs. And he said, These prospects, they're the top 100 prospects that we think are going to have the best 100 careers. And the word in there is that we think. None of this is based on fact. This is all opinion. It's all what they think. Now, look, their opinion and their thought process is based on a lot of work, like you said, that they put in there. But Keith Wall... Has Grayson Rodriguez ranked, I think, 14th uh, Correct, as yeah. his overall prospects. Now, look, he's he's higher on him now than he's ever been in the past. Uh, you can't deny the body of work that Grayson Rodriguez has put out. But he's, I think, his third pitcher uh, yeah. uh, on on his list. Behind every, Shane Boz and Hunter Green. Yeah, and every other listing has him as the number one pitching prospect in baseball. And th- this is a guy who we, we've talked to, J.J. Uh, Cooper, on, on Glenn Clark Radio. We talked to Kyle Glazer last week. They think that this guy is an elite pitching prospect. They think that he can be up there at the top of the game as far as starting pitchers are concerned. Uh, and to his credit, so does Keith Wall. Yeah, He just doesn't rate him as high as somebody else. And maybe he's right. Maybe Shane Boz comes out and pitches to a career ERA of 2.5. And uh, Grayson Rodriguez has a career ERA of 3.1. Either way, that's a damn good pitcher. And you're not going to tell me that a guy like Jordan Westberg isn't going to have a better career than somebody who's ranked 97th right now. I I, I don't know off the top of my head the top 100 prospects, but undoubtedly, undoubtedly, you're going to find a ton of players who have better careers that are on the outside looking in than some of these guys are on these top lists. You look at Tom Brady in the NFL. He's the greatest quarterback that's ever lived, and he was drafted at the end of the sixth round. Yeah, it's Antonio Brown was a 6th round draft pick in the NFL. Now, look, it's two different sports, but you get my overall point. 23 that, teams passed on Mike Trout. Yeah. This is, it's just one of those things. The, the Orioles took Matt Hopgood ninth overall one year, they took Billy Rowell. Why uh, do you have to bring like, up
1: these names, man?
0: Uh, because it's a thing, man. <laughs> the Orioles had four first round draft picks in 1998, and only one of them had a productive major league career, and that was Brian Roberts. The. Uh, These are so... It's Baseball, more than any other sport, is so hit or miss. You have no idea because it's the hardest team sport in the world. It's the hardest team sport in the world. These guys... Look at a guy like Jeff Rebele. Jeff Rebele was a putrid Major League Baseball player. He had his role. He was a utility player, and he owned Randy Johnson, which is some crazy crap. Yeah, who would have thought? But, that guy... For as bad as we thought he was, at that point in his life, was one of the best 750 players in the game. Yeah. Actually, at that point, you got to take 60 off, um, 60 players off. He was one of the best 690 players in the, in the world at baseball. That's how hard this game is. That a guy like Jeff Rebele was so bad,
1: but was one of the best 690 players in the world yeah. at baseball the the guys on your team who you you tweet at and tell them that they suck when they strike out three times a game they were the guys on their high school and college teams that absolutely raked mm-hmm. that everyone came to that see they had a golden freaking ticket yeah to life yeah it's this is the hardest game in the world
0: to play next to like golf but it's the hardest team sport to play and it's really a crapshoot it's all a guessing game you know you could look at the number 1 overall pick Hunter Davis right that's his name, right? Hunter Davis? Henry, Henry Hunter, Davis. Henry Davis. Henry Davis. I, you know what? That's not the first time I've called him Hunter Davis. I think there is a Hunter Davis in baseball. But Henry Davis, you look at him, number one pick in the draft by the Pittsburgh Pirates, he might never see the field. He might never see the major leagues. He, he will because he's number one overall pick and they're going to give him a shot. But he might turn into Travis Snyder. Yeah. You know, you have no idea. They put a lot of effort, a lot of time, and devotion into these things, but they don't really know. They just think they know. And that's that's exactly my point. Exactly, exactly. We are on the same page there, my man. Great segment. Great segment. I I appreciate it, man. Thanks for filling in for Zach on that one. Now let's get to some Orioles banter here. Um, Off-season is at a standstill for obvious reasons. There is going to be a free agent free-for-all. When this thing is over and they're like, all right, we got to get to spring training. We got to ramp things up. We got to get this season started. There's a ton of guys that do not have a team right now. How crazy is this signing period
1: going to be once the CBA is agreed upon? I mean, the dominoes are going to start to fall when the Orioles sign Carlos Correa and Clayton Kershaw. That's that's about <laughs> all I No, I, I I don't know, man. I th- I think it's going to be pretty wild. I mean, especially with a guy like Correa still on the market, um, you know, Stan mentioned that he he's always looking at MLB trade rumors and you've got, you know, speculation on who Correa's team is going to be and um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's gonna be madness, you know, because it's gonna be the rush to get not only get your teams to spring training, but who's gonna be on these teams. the 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 Rule Five draft hasn't even happened. I, I don't know if we're gonna have a Rule Five draft. I got we have I, to, I, right? I, I
0: saw that was your tweet that you put out, or your your pseudonym tweet that you put out. Are you? No, no, no. are Orioles fans prop Orioles. I'm fa- Orioles fan problems. Orioles yeah. fan problems. It was Orioles fan therapy. Um, oh yeah, that's not they me. put out a tweet that the, 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 the I, I get him confused. My apologies, bud. But um, uh, they put out a tweet saying, so if spring training gets delayed, do we have do we just skip the Rule Five draft? Like, is a guy like Robert Newstrom safe?
1: Yeah, I don't. That's what I want to know. Are we yeah. gonna have Robert Newstrom in the outfield mix? Are we gonna have Nick Vespi in the bullpen? Like, these are the questions that I like. I we're not gonna sign Correa. We're not gonna sign any more big name free agents. We still need to put Jordan Lyles pen to paper. But yeah, I, yeah, I want to know if, if any of these young guys who I personally like are gonna get swiped up by other teams. I don't know if that's even gonna be an option this year. Yeah, and
0: it's it's crazy where we are in the game right now, and it, it's it's crazy that there's so many players out there that have no idea where they're going. They have no idea where. I, I think it's gonna be a whirlwind, man. I think the like the day that they agree to something. You're going to start seeing all these guys start signing. And my, my wondering, and I, and I actually had this in my notes as a question for Rich, but we didn't get to it because he was here for a half an hour. Yeah. Um, and we, we just didn't get to it. Do you think that we're going to see guys sign for lesser deals just so they know where they're going and they can get started? Absolutely. You know, yeah. l- like I don't think Carlos Correa is signing for less than what he feels he's
1: worth. No, not a guy like Correa, you know, but a, someone like Kershaw or, or, or a Chris cranky. Bryant, perhaps. Gran- yeah, Granky, You know, just looking down this list, I mean, you got Trevor Story, Castellanos, Kyle Schwarber, Carlos Rodon, Anthony Rizzo, Jorge Soler, Michael Conforto. All these guys are still out on the market, mm-hmm. and I can certainly see a situation where they're taking less just so that they know they have somewhere to go. And now, will they be shorter, shorter term deals? Probably. I, I, you know, I could see a guy like Conforto going for a one or two year kind of prove it deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, at a lesser value, just so he knows, you know, who he's going to be competing with for outfield jobs, because he was an MVP candidate a couple years ago. Oh, and, absolutely, and he fell of off last off. year. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I could certainly see guys taking lesser deals just so that you know, once once this all gets resolved. I mean, we don't know how long there's going to be for spring training. We don't know if there's going to be a buffer time between the the new agreement and the start of spring training. We mm-hmm. we really don't know. But um, yeah, I mean, it, uh, if it were me in this position, I would want to know where I'm going to be playing this year. So yeah, I, I'd, yeah I'd, I'd rather get a deal done if it, even if it means a couple less million, maybe. Yeah, and
0: you know, th- then you look at the Orioles and how does this impact how they move in, in free agency. We saw them sign Jordan. And Jordan Lyles, look, people make fun of the signing. They gave $7 million to a guy with a 515 ERA. And, and I get that. I get it. But I say that on the show. Do a little bit more research on, on Jordan Lyles. Two out of every three times, he gave you a 320 ERA. He went out there, he had 23 starts where he gave up three runs or less last year. Um, And he pitched 180 innings. They gave him $7 million. When have we seen this regime give anybody $7 million? It's the first time. It's the first time. Uh, And if you ask Rich, and you ask uh, John Mioli, who no longer writes for the Baltimore Sun, but still has his own um, thing about the Orioles, you ask Nathan Ruiz, they'll tell you, the Orioles are probably going to go out and sign another starting pitcher you don't know who it's going to be. It could be it could be Matt Harvey. Matt Harvey could be back or they could go out and they could sign somebody uh to I, I do believe they're going to sign another starting pitcher to a major league deal. Um not 7 million, but a couple no. million. They'll give somebody a couple million. Uh I also I, I know because they have to that they're going to sign a catcher to a yeah. major league deal. They ha- it could be it could be Caleb Joseph, it could be Robinson Chirinos, it could I don't think it'll be a guy like Chirinos or R- or Wilson Ramos. But it could be a guy like Kurt Suzuki, who's 38 years old and is still a capable catcher, who would be a solid guy for a month if they do the service clock manipulation and they bring up Brutchman on May 1st and they need somebody to start for a month and then be the backup. It could be a guy like that. But somebody is going to get a major league deal, right? Uh, I'm just interested. I'm very interested to see how the Orioles spend their money, how much they're going to spend, uh, because I think that will really give us a glimpse into
1: how they're feeling about where this rebuild is. And also will a, will a potential CBA agreement require them to spend to cert- to hit a certain minimum yeah. threshold? We we don't know that either. I that's something that I really want in the CBA. At first yeah. I was like
0: there's no there's no way people are going for that. And the more I think about it, the more likely I think it is. And I don't I think it was proposed like start at 100 million. There's just no way. And if no. you do start at 100 million, it's got to be something that you kind of slowly get to um that that you don't
1: implement for this year, right? Right. There's just too much going on and too little time. Otherwise, you're going to see Kurt Suzuki signing with the Orioles for one year, twenty seven million dollars. Yeah,
0: yeah. Like you just to get to that threshold, you got to incrementally get there. Yeah. So if you say, all right, teams have to spend a minimum of sixty five million this year, eighty five million next year, and then the year after that's a hundred million. That's where it sits, and it may go up, but it's not going back down. That's something I could totally see happening, and I'd be all for. If you tell me that the Orioles have to raise their payroll to $65 million this year, they have no choice but to go out and get some starting pitching and get some relief help and people that can help this ball club. Now, there's the other end of that, and Glenn and I have talked about this on his show where maybe they don't spend that money on free agents, maybe they spend that money on locking up a guy like Trey Mancini and John Means and Cedric Mullins. So they're spending it on the guys that they already have in-house. That remains to be seen. That's a motto of this show, Zach and I always joke, it remains to be seen. We have really no idea what they're going to do, yeah. but man, I am excited. I always find the reason... To get excited for the Orioles, it's it's easy to, f- to do that because you love the team and you have hope. You have hopes right now. Now ask me how excited I am in the middle of June when they're 30 games under 500 again. Right. But you're looking at Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins and a healthy Trey Mancini, Ryan Mountcastle, Adley Rutschman for this this lineup. I'm excited about man. I'm excited. Yeah. The, but oh, yeah, the, the, the pitching, f- man, the pitching. It, that I'm not. That's the downfall. That's always been the, when the Orioles are bad. It's because they don't have the pitching. They find a way to get the hitting. You more often than not, except for 2018 when they the entire team forgot how to hit with runners in scoring position. But oh, I digress. Yeah. Um, they find a way to get the hitting. The pitching is always subpar. But you have John Means. Grayson Rodriguez is coming. We'll talk about DL Hall here in, in a minute. Hopefully, he's coming. But I also think that getting the starting pitching back on a better level. Makes your bullpen that much better. The the arms that they have in that bullpen are electric. They are they have fina- Dylan Tate and Tanner Scott and Tyler Wells, Cole Salser. They have legitimate arms in that bullpen, and they were
1: god awful last year because they were pitching six innings every game. Yeah, and so what do the Orioles do? They go out and sign Jordan Lyles, who is probably if he stays healthy, he's going to give you two hundred innings. I don't think. Hopefully, that, yeah. I mean, he's he's a guy who consistently gives you six, seven innings to start. Mm-hmm. Even if he's given up three, or four runs, the, like you said, the Orioles' biggest problem last year—well, they had a ton of problems—but th- their bullpen was so overworked. And despite the talent that they have with those guys, they were they were pitching four times a week. Yeah. And you know, you bring in a guy like Lyles who's going to eat some innings and hopefully preserve the bullpen a little bit, give guys an extra day or, day or two of rest. Who knows what the trickle down effect is going to be in that bullpen and it's going to make Brandon Hyde's job a lot easier when he's not having to go to arms that are are hanging on by a thread mm-hmm. and it's going to give Orioles fans less to complain about when they're going on Twitter trying to blame Brandon Hyde for a loss when he just had to use you know he just had to use Travis Lakens for the fourth time this week. Yeah.
0: Travis Lakens who look uh, Travis Lakens his 2020 season was such a smokescreen to me because yeah his ERA was like 2.80 he had, a, he had a good year ERA-wise, but then I looked at his whip, and his whip was approaching 1.6. Yeah, And it was like, all right, he's going to fall back here. Uh, and, he, and sure enough, he did. Yeah. Sure, sure enough, he did. The, Travis Lakens is a, a good depth piece, but not a guy who should be in your everyday bullpen, in yeah. my opinion. And, and Brandon High is forced to use guys like that and keep calling guys up like that because he's not given the starting, the starting depth that he needs to compete on a day-in and day-out basis. Now, what you have to look at with that is Guys like Keegan Aiken and Dean Kramer, who took serious step steps back last year. They need these guys. Aiken, Kramer, the list goes on. Like Rich Dubrow said, uh, Michael Ballman, Zach Louther, Alexander Wells, they need to take steps forward this year. The Orioles only go as far as their starting pitching goes, and they were terrible last year because none of those guys came up to the big league level and performed well. Aiken had a handful of starts towards the end of the year where he looked solid, not great, but solid somebody's got to step up and not necessarily become that next job means, but be
1: a four or five pitcher. Yeah. You need someone who's going to be able to stay in your rotation for, for most of the season and pitch not terribly. And, you know, yeah, there, there are plenty of, of, of potential candidates for that job. You know, whether it's a guy like Aiken or Kramer who comes back from a rough year last year, or maybe it's a Bruce Zimmerman or, Maybe it's a Michael Bauman or a Zach Lothar who comes up, or maybe it's Kyle Bradish who, who wins a job out of spring training and, and you know, sticks around. But, yeah, you've got to have someone who can, who can bridge the gap between, you know, John Means, Jordan Lyles, maybe Grayson Rodriguez. There's got to be someone else there who can, you know, at least give you a chance to win. They don't have to be, you know, like you said, they don't have to be the next John Means. They just have to give you an opportunity to stay in the game. And, and the Orioles just haven't had those guys in the back end of the rotation or at the top, really, they just mm-hmm. they just haven't had those guys. To put it simply,
0: and, and the other thing about John ja Means,
1: hang on a second, uh, take over. I almost called you Zach. Ryan, take over while I answer this. Yeah, that's that's fine with me. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you look at a guy like like Aiken and Kramer, and I, I, you know, you don't know how much of an impact the the crackdown on, you know, sticky stuff had had on these guys. You know, guys who came up and they were good in 2019, good enough to at least be excited about, uh, but. You know, like like I said before, the Orioles need guys who are going to be able to be serviceable back end starters, and the guys who they've had filling in in those roles the last couple of years have not performed anywhere close to what you need from a, a back end guy. Well, and, and then you look at guys at the top, like John Means. And
0: he's been injured every year. He's had shoulder issues every year that he's that he's been in the Orioles rotation, and he's he's as good as you want him to be. Until that, that, that shoulder injury comes up. And then when he comes back, he's not the same pitcher for a few weeks because he's coming back from an injury. So the, you need guys that can stay in the rotation, stay healthy, and get you innings. Job means, honestly, on a good team should be a number three. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I I would think. you know uh, And he's the Orioles de facto ace because he's the best that they've got. Yeah. Uh, and Grayson Rodriguez, everything points to him. The only thing right now I'm going to knock on wood is it's going to derail him, it seems to me, is injury. And uh, pitchers go through injuries. Uh, we, yeah. ju- we just talked about what John Means. Pitchers, the only guy, really, that didn't, that lived up to every diamond is Max Scherzer. Yeah. The, I, mean, I mean, you look at Clayton Kershaw, one of the greatest pitchers we've ever seen in the history of baseball, and then the back issues the last three or four years, he's, he hasn't pitched a complete season. Yeah. You know, the, these
1: these injuries happen. And but Scherzer pitches like a guy whose shoulders should be exploding on impact every oh, single pitch. Absolutely, he's
0: an alien. He's an alien. It, he's not from this planet. It doesn't make sense. Um, but and, and then you look at a guy like DL Hall, never thrown more than I think it's ninety and a third is his high ninety and a third innings is his highest. He's entering his fifth year in the Orioles system, and he threw he had seven innings and thirty he had seven starts thirty one innings last year, and he's one of the top prospects in baseball because. He can throw four pitches for strikes. He can touch. He, he can get close to triple digits with his fastball. He needs to work on his command a little bit. But that dude has swing and miss stuff on every pitch that he's got, yeah. and he's a lefty. But now you're looking at where does he fit in the Orioles' plans? If he comes out th- this this year for me, if he wants to be a legitimate starting pitcher in the majors, this is a make or break year for Deal Hall. I think he will be an Oriole, and I think he will be on a, ma- in a on a major league pitching staff. But it's up to him to decide, am I going to be a reliever or am I going to be a starting pitcher? I think if he becomes a reliever, he could be, he could turn into Andrew Miller or yeah. he could turn into Zach Britton. He could be the next great closer. And to me, it's kind of a failure. Yeah, that's because a massive disappointment. Because that, guy su- the that guy's supposed to be pitching every fifth day for you, giving you six to seven innings. Yeah. Uh, he's supposed to be one. And that's he's ranked so highly because of the potential and the talent that he has, but he's got to stay on the field. And he's... This is the year, man, where he and Grayson Rodriguez, the Orioles need to, need to open these guys up. Yeah. They need to get in there, and Grayson Rodriguez averaged under five innings a start. He didn't He year. didn't
1: touch 90 pitches last year in any yeah.
0: single outing. Uh, they need to, and that's why he's, They Michael Elias said at the end of last year, we're open to Grayson Rodriguez and Adley Rutschman being on our opening day roster. Rutschman, I can see. Rodriguez, as good as he is, you not are yet. not open to that because you got to send him to AAA and give him six to seven innings every time out. Let that dude touch 100 pitches. Let that dude go out there and prove that he can get through a lineup a third time. You know, he didn't give him the opportunity last
1: year. Yeah, I I spoke to Matt Blood on my podcast, the Orioles director of player development, uh, before last season, and I asked him what was going to be the biggest challenge with, um, you know, returning to form after a shortened season with no minor league games in 2020. And he told me that the biggest issue was going to be keeping pitchers healthy uh, with, you know, workload management and injuries. And so for. The beginning of the season, i that's what I attributed to the short outings from Grace Rodriguez, because he would come out and punch out eight guys in five innings, give up one hit. He'd be at 63 pitches, and he wouldn't come back out for the sixth. Mm-hmm. I was like, all right, maybe they're, you know, they've got him on this strict pitch count. That's fine. I thought the leash was going to extend a little bit towards the end of the season. It didn't change at all. No. It was after five innings, you're done. It doesn't matter if you've thrown 55 pitches or 85 pitches. That that's as far as you're going and we're not gonna let you go beyond that.
0: And you can you can understand it to to a degree. Yeah because they're coming back from that pandemic. That that, that shortened season where all he did and all DL Hall did was pitch at the Alternate training site. That's all they did. But and no matter how much they threw, you're
1: not going to get enough of that in three months, right? But you know, you've got to stretch a guy out eventually, especially you know, especially a guy like Grayson who was was dominating and is is supposed to be an anchor of our rotation for the next decade. Mm-hmm. You, you've got to let him go through a lineup a third time and see what he's got. Cause yeah. until Because that's another reason he's he's lower on Keith Law's rankings than anywhere else. It's it can he? We don't know if he can pitch the third time through an order because we haven't seen it. So and that that's a big. You know, benchmark of success for starting pitchers is how deep can they work into games successfully, and we don't know if Rodriguez is capable of that yet. We have no reason to believe he's not, but we also haven't physically seen it.
0: Yeah, uh, I think that that's honestly the main thing that they're going to have him working on at, at AAA this year: is getting deeper in the games, getting through a lineup a third time, prove that you can go out there, throw hundred pitches in a start. Bounce back and come back uh, uh, five days later and throw 95 pitches yeah. in a start. But the, Your arm can bounce back like that. And, and once he does, and if he's dominant, he'll be here sooner rather than later. Absolutely. Um, but the, the bottom line is we expect Grayson Rodriguez to be great. We expect Jordan Lyles to be an inning, an innings eater. You expect John Means to be John Means and hopefully get rid of the shoulder inflammation for a fourth straight year. After that, you got nothing else. You got nothing else. And, and Kyle Bradish might be a thing and Kevin Smith might be a thing. Garrett Stallings might be a thing eventually. But they gotta get here. They yeah. gotta get here and they gotta prove that they can stay here. And right now it's what Dan Connolly talked about last year. And you know, I'm I'm not one to like pat myself on the back or anything like that. But before Dan Connolly even wrote that article last year, I said on this show, um, to Zach, dude, after Rodriguez and Hall, the Orioles farm system's pretty bare on pitching. Yeah. It is. You can't you can't run for that. You can get as mad at Dan Connolly as you want to get. If the Orioles have more pitching prospects, they're probably not pushing that wall back in left field as much. They might they might make some adjustments, but they're probably not pushing it back thirty feet and raising it seven feet higher or five feet higher because you have guys in your system that are already pitching well. They they know that they gotta go out and sign some starting pitchers and they know that you're getting a Kevin Millwood at the end of his career or a Giovanni Gallardo with back issues or Ubaldo Jimenez who is taking a two-month run with Cleveland um, and trying to turn that into a four-year deal because the other guys aren't coming here. They're not going to do that. And that's why they push the wall back. It, it, it's not about what you... It, it. It's about what you have in your system right now, but it's more so about who you want to attract to your system and how you're going to get competitive. And it's the exact opposite of what Andy McPhail said where he said we're going to buy we're going to grow the arms by the bats. The Orioles are growing the bats and they they know they're going to have to buy the arms. Yeah. It's it's just one of those things that's going to have to happen. I'm I'm here for it, man. I I've, I've never left. But man, let's just get them on the field first. Uh, get, let's get our S together on both sides, get back on the field, get spring training underway cuz I'm tired of the cold. I'm tired of not even being able to focus on baseball because there's nothing going on. Let's get it going and start this thing up. All right, today's show brought to you by uh, Simply the Bets. It's our new gambling show uh, brought to you by Glenn Clark Radio. Sports betting has come to Maryland, and we're ready to help you win some money. Tune in for Simply the Bets with Glenn Clark and myself every Wednesday morning at 1130. FanDuel Sportsbooks GM Bruce Billick and and v VEASAN's Aaron Oster join the the guys to help give you all of the info you need and some suggestions. So come win some money with us on Simply the Bets every Wednesday at 11.30 a.m. Brought to you by the FanDuel Sports at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. Listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Watch it YouTube.com slash PressBoxOnline. When we come back in, we'll close things out with a little bit of Orioles trivia here on the bet Around. round
6: The latest issue of Press Box is available now, and it's our very special annual Best of Issue on the cover. We celebrate Justin Tucker as our Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, honoring his historic on-field achievements, but also the unprecedented relationship he shared with Baltimore. Inside, we recognize the top people, performances, and moments of 2021, including Cedric Mullins' incredible season and the dominance of local Paralympic athletes. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com.
8: The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out.
4: Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks.
5: Thanks for having us,
4: man. Appreciate it. The great Kurt Angle. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it.
5: And Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks,
4: man. The champ, Drew McIntyre. Oh.
8: and SoundCloud.
4: The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today.
0: Uh, letting that old GCR music run a little bit. This is uh, this is now bat around break three music, but it's a uh, break three. None the, it's a uh, great music nonetheless. I'm Paul. This is Ryan Blake sitting in for Zach Goodman. We're back here on the bat around. Thanks for tuning into our show today, guys. We are almost out of here as we're sitting here at about twelve oh seven. I do have a little bit of trivia. For Ryan, I was nervous. I was going to have to skip the segment because I hadn't put any attention to it throughout the throughout the uh, the show. But I came up with something for you in the in eleventh the hour, oh Ryan. No. You ready for this? Bring it on! All right. I think that I think that I could have done this. There's one name I may have forgotten about, even though I know it, but I may have forgotten about it. In Orioles history, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players have hit 40 or more home runs. And, in fact, we have no repeat offenders on this list. Each guy's done it once. Who are they? Eight players hit 40 or more home runs.
1: 40 home runs. Okay. Um, Chris Davis. Chris Davis, number one in 2013 with 53. Nelson Cruz. Nelson Cruz,
0: number eight in 2014 with 40.
1: I can't remember if Trumbo ever hit 40. I, uh, I, I don't think he did. He did?
0: Dude, he led the league in 2016. I knew he
1: led the league, but I thought it was with, like, 38 or something. No, he hit
0: 47.
1: Okay. All right. He was better than I thought. Uh, that, okay, that, so that, that's shocking to me that you don't remember that. I, you know, I, I wasn't a big Trumbo guy, personally. And neither was I. So I, I just—I don't know. The Orioles led the league in home—had had the the single-season leader four years in a row in yeah. home runs. It was twice Davis, right, and then Cruz and, and Trumbo. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So since it was it, it was uh tw- twice Davis— What's the other year? The twi- I I, I lied. Chris Davis is the only repeat offender.
1: He did it in uh, thirteen and fifteen, correct? Mm-hmm. How many did he hit in fifteen? Forty-seven. Forty-seven.
0: He hit 47 in 2015 so 2013 Davis led the Orioles with 50 led the league with 53. 2014 Nelson Cruz led the league with 40 in 2015 Davis led with 47 In 2016 Trumbo led with 47. I think you have four more you got Cruz you got both Davis and you got Mark Trumbo okay
1: uh Brady Anderson
0: Brady Anderson number two on the list in 1996 he hit 50. he broke the Orioles single season record that year that Chris Davis eventually broke but who had the record before him
1: I want to say it was Boog. No. Boog never hit 40? No. His high okay. was 39. Oh, man. All right. Uh, so Frank won the Triple Crown. He had to have had 40. He had 49. 49. Okay. Frank so Robinson, number three on the list in 1966. So you right. have one, two guys left. Two guys left. All right. I'm going to go out on a limb with one of them and say Jim Gentile. Jim Gentile. Jim Gentile sixth on the list. With
0: you got Jim Gentile, and I was you weren't born sure 1994, about 1994, baby. And, let's and you go.
1: and you weren't <laughs> you weren't sure about Trumbo, but you got I, Jim Gentile. I, I or I, Frank, for matter, Gentile. Frank for that matter, and you got Jim Gentile. Well, I knew Trumbo led the league. I just didn't think I didn't know if it was over 40 or not. Um, and I, I was pretty certain with Frank, but I didn't want to I didn't want to sound like an idiot if he hadn't done it. So I, I tried to play it a little skeptical there. All right. Um, all right. So there's one more. You said there's one more. Is it an obvious name?
0: So th- this is this was a guy who was always close to it, but never could get over the hump. And then in his final year, he had over 40 home runs. Final
1: year with the Orioles, he had over 40 home runs. Ooh. I, I take it this is before my time. No. You no? were you were oh, shoot. You were a youngster. Oh now, right, now I feel bad. Um, okay. Eddie? No. Eddie's career high was thirty three. Okay, so this, so I would have been a youngster. So this is late nineties, early two thousands. Um, late nineties. Late nineties. Who are home run hitters? We'll see. B.J. Surhoff was my favorite player, but he wasn't a, a his big career home high run was twenty eight. Yeah, he he never hit too many. Um, oh gosh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be so mad when if I if I hear the name and I don't get it right. Um. Oh gosh. Late nineties. Cal never hit forty. No, his career high was thirty-four. Oh man, is I I might have to ask you to say this one, but it's gonna hurt. No, oh, come on, man. I, well, I, I was gonna say I was gonna guess Miguel Tejada until you said it was late nineties. No, his
0: career high was thirty-four.
1: Okay. Rafi. Rafael, Rafael Palmero. in ninety.
0: In ninety seven, in ninety five he hit thirty nine. In ninety six he hit thirty nine. In ninety seven he hit thirty eight. And in ninety eight he finally got over the hump and he hit forty three. And then he went to the Rangers and then came back and did steroids. Yeah, I, 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 I'm glad.
1: I'm glad I got it eventually. I feel bad yeah. that I didn't get it sooner, but I'm. I'm that
0: glad that was a dude where that one doesn't surprise me because when I was a kid, I just remember always thinking. Palmero always hits 39 home runs and he never gets over the hump and then he finally yeah. did it and it was the first of 14 straight losing seasons that he finally did it and man, that team had, that team started that year 10 and three because they started 97, 11 and two, and they went wire to wire. Yeah. 98 they started 10 and three, and they were off and running and then everybody got hurt. And they, everybody got hurt except for like Palmero and da- and um, and Cal and they went under 500 that year and it's not even that everybody got hurt everybody got hurt and everybody got old yeah and they w- fell under 500 that year and never returned again until 20 20- till 2012 but palmero did it in 1998 very good very good thank you um although i don't know that i can uh, that I can forgive you not knowing Frank Robinson had 49 home runs in 66 and not knowing that Trumbo hit 47. I yeah, mean, I'd... he hit 48 in 162 games because he played 161 that year. That's right. Yeah. And then in the in the wild card game, he homered to give the Orioles their lone run, and that would have been 48 homers in 162 games. Yeah. But that was in the postseason. Now, quickly. I've, I've tried to erase Mark Trumbo from my memory. Dude, I did not want them to re-sign him. That was a guy who hit 47 home runs and yet his own base percentage was 318. Yeah, and he had no sacrifice flies. How do you have no sacrifice flies in the season as an everyday player?
1: 161 games and you have no sacrifice flies. He'd have one or two with the the wall moved back 30 feet, though. Yeah, maybe. Probably. Maybe, but and he was. Oh, he was, by the way, to your point earlier, uh, Cedric Mullins. I looked up his his spray chart. He he pulled at, or center field, so there was no opposite field home runs for him yeah. last year. There, one of his three home runs in 2020 was opposite field. I
0: remember him hitting it up because it was a big one. It was like a go ahead homer or something like that. I think so. But I, but
1: nothing I, last year. You were right about yeah. that.
0: Yeah. Um yeah, I, and you look at you look at the Orioles, you look at guys like um uh oh my god, why am, why am I forgetting? Anthony Santander, who bats mainly from the from the left side cuz it's always right-handed pitching. He's a switch hitter, but he hits a lot of home runs left-handed and they all go to go directly oh god, he hits laser beam moonshots. Uh, if that's possible for a Moonshot to be a laser beam, uh, th- there are balls that I can't believe he hasn't hit, haven't hit the warehouse yeah. that he's hit so hard and so far. But you look, you look at a guy like him, and then Mullins batting from the left side, and the Orioles are going to miss it. And, and then Adley Rutschman, who's going to be coming up, the Orioles are going to miss out on some home runs for sure. But it's not going to impact them as much as people think.
1: You know who I think it will impact, and I, I you know, I'm jumping the gun here a little bit, but. How many times did we see a highlight last year of Gunnar Henderson going Apo Taco? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's that's the one that that concerns me, and I, for some reason, and I know it's a few years down the road. I know he's capable of pulling home runs for sure, yeah. but um, you know some of those some of those cheap like the, the one that that really stands out to me that I that I think of is uh, Cal Statue Night, Matt Weeder's home run in the first inning. Mm-hmm. It was, I was there. It was the front row, you know, three four seats in down the left field line. It it well, barely cleared three thirty.
0: Well, but directly down the left field line is still three thirty three. That's true. It's still it's kind of like a pesky pole situation they got going yeah. on. It's three thirty and he immediately just jets out. Yeah. Um but yeah here's the thing about Gunner. What Gunner showed to me with all the Apo Taco power uh last year was that he's a complete hitter. Yes. Right. He's a guy who who, who can spray the ball all over the field. He's just gotta he's gotta get stronger. He's gotta get bigger. You, you gotta remember he's doing this at 19 years old. Right. Right. So he's gotta get bigger and he's gotta get stronger. Um, and he will and he, apparently he already is he already is he he looks so much different right now i think you'll see him start to pull pull more balls but i, I have no problem watching him hit balls off a of 12-foot wall and That's and, 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 and get doubled off of my yeah. he'll he'll hit his share home runs yeah I, i'm i'm not worried about him another guy who it's not going to really impact as far as the home runs because there is colton cowser right. uh, that, that guy he can hit the ball wherever he wants and he can, i think he'll have a lot of pull power purely left-handed hitter so look, the Orioles. I, I honestly, people are up in arms about this freaking wall, man.
1: And, and I kind of—it's not. I, it, I,
0: I poke fun because I think it's going to make them better. I think it's going to make the Orioles better do. overall, better as a team, as a unit, because it's going to make them better hitters. Because they look, look, unless I really get into one, I'm not going to. I'm not going to hit as many home runs to left field. So let me just put the ball all over the field. The other thing is, if you're going to hit a home run. There is, Ryan Mountcastle lost four home runs last year, which is still a really good season for a guy in his first full year. Um, but a guy like Ryan Mountcastle, if he hits a no doubter home run, doesn't matter how. I mean, that wall could be 430, yeah. and, and he's still
1: putting it over there. You know what I mean? I, I just think I think it makes it makes this team better, honestly. You, you know what? You know what I've been doing is because uh, I, I play a lot of MLB. This show, mm-hmm. I, every time I, I hit a home run to left field, I try to think like, would that still be gone with the new dimensions? You you really have to get a hold of it. like it's it's halfway up the the section that used to be there, but you know I, I think guys are going to be all right. I I, I will say th- th- there are two two thoughts I have on it. Number one, right now it's going to look weird. It's going to be different, but a year from now it's just going to be Camden Yards. Yeah, that's all.
0: That is exactly my point. Yeah,
1: I, I've said that many times. And I, I was just looking up here because I I can't remember if it's Miguel Tejada or Brian Roberts who holds the Orioles single season doubles record. It's I th- Brian Roberts. Fifty six. Roberts broke it. Yeah. Um. If I. I, I would put money right now on Colton Couser breaking that record. You think I, so? I think he's my guy. Are you, are, you, are you as high on him as Zach Goodman is? I, yeah. yeah. Zach, I Zach loves – he thinks Colton
0: Kalzer could get here by the end of this year. I, I don't know about that. I think, I think that's a stretch, but he loves Colton Couser. I, I, I was told that he's
1: like Nick Marcakis but with more power. Yeah, I, I mean if, if he puts on 15 pounds of muscle, mm-hmm. he's, he's going to be a, a legit five-tool guy. Yeah, I, I'm I'm excited that that, that dude's a, that
0: that swing is so pretty. Now let me ask you a, a quick question: Connor Norby, Connor Norby hit over 400 in college. Uh, not a, not home run, not a ton of home run power. He's strictly a second baseman. They took him in the second round. I saw him playing for ECU in the college world series. And I was like, ooh, that's a guy. I hope that the Orioles somehow find a way to get. And they got him in the second round.
1: How do you value him? What do you th- see as his future? You know, he fits the mold of guys the Orioles have targeted in the draft the last couple of years under Mm -hmm. Elias. Um, He's an an up-the-middle player, um, good on-base skills, great eye at the plate, uh, is going to walk just about as much as he's going to strike out. um, And that's been the book on these guys that that Elias has taken in the early rounds the last few years. Um, You know, the... the Positional restrictions concern me a little bit. I'd like to see them try him out, you know, a couple other places around the infield, maybe throw him in a corner outfield, see what he's capable of, just as a, a little bit of an experiment in the minor leagues. Um, but the Orioles need up the middle young prospects. And right now, it's, you know, you've got guys at the major league level like Ramona Rios who might stick around, Jorge Mateo might stick around, but we, we've been relying on, you know, Richie Martin and, and Pat Valeka to play these mm-hmm. positions. And in the farm, you've got Gunnar Henderson and. Jordan Westberg, and then not a whole lot up the middle behind him, mm-hmm. and infield. You got, got, got Daryl and you got
0: Joey Ortiz. Yeah, uh, but those and are guys who are still, These are Cervideo. a lot of
1: guys who are still three, four years down the road. That's true. That's true. And you know, I I like these guys a lot. In fact, I, I not to brag, I just got a follow from Servideo uh, on Twitter. Nice. So shout out my guy Anthony. Um, but you know, I, I I like Norby a lot. I think he's a good pick. Um, my girlfriend went to ECU, so oh. I watched a lot of their baseball games last year, and he's he's a guy who certainly impresses me. And um, you know. If, if those you know, those, those kind of on-base skills are the ones that generally translate to the upper levels. Mm-hmm. A guy who's got good play discipline at the lower levels is generally going to carry that over. Not necessarily to the same extent, but it's, it's going to be part of his game going forward because that's a hard thing to have at a young age.
0: Yeah, it's really the only value that a guy
1: like DJ Stewart has is his ability to get on base. Yeah, but with Norby, hopefully you're going to have a guy who can do some other things well in addition to just drawing walks. And and DJ Stewart, uh, Zach and I, the the last time I was here, it was basically me and Zach just talking a bunch of crap about DJ Stewart the whole show. (laughs) Uh, But... You know, yeah, I, I, I like Norby. I think, I think he's got a future as at least a serviceable middle infielder. Um, I just I, I hope, just for his sake even, that that he can get a little more positional flexibility, because, like you said, to this point, he's pretty much just played second base. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Westberg,
0: three levels last year, hit at all three levels. was a very, very good player for the Orioles. He was a, supplement, a a competitive balance pick. Technically, he's considered the first round pick for the Orioles. Again, three levels in his first pro season. Do you see him making uh, a debut for the Orioles this season?
1: I think it's going to be hard not to, especially if he continues playing at the same level he did last year. He's obviously shown already that he's going to be a fast riser as long as he continues to hit. And, like, you know, I mentioned the guys who the Orioles have been relying on in the middle infield. You know, if Mateo was a flash in the pan last year when he was healthy and exciting, uh, you know, Ramona Rios might replicate a little bit of what he did last year but you know the Orioles are going to need some of these guys to, mm-hmm. to make a name for themselves in the middle infield and you know whether it's you know shortstop second base third base I think Westberg has the flexibility to be able to play any, just about anywhere in the infield um, yeah I I could certainly see him coming up uh, as a September call up uh, you know, expanded rosters come in. I think there's certainly going to be a place for him, especially if you know we're not getting the production that we'd like to see at the middle infield. A guy like Ramonarias,
0: look, when he finally got extensive extensive playing time, he got hurt. Same thing with Jorge Mateo. And uh, maybe their bodies aren't used to it; they should be. They played in the minors. They play. They pl- they played their entire lives. Yeah, fifty games shouldn't you know result in wear and tear. I would. I think anyway. But Ramonarias proved. Last year and end in twenty twenty when he's in the lineup he puts the bat on the ball yeah he 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 puts the bat on the ball the dude makes contact he he come up in the situation I'm like this dude's coming through one way or another he's doing something here that's going to help this ball club that's a guy who I think should get first crack at at second base this year for the Orioles to start the year um, and then you look you wonder. Are they going to play him there? Are they going to put him over at shortstop? Are they going to dress shortstop through free agency? Are they going to go back out and try and get an Andrelton Simmons or a Freddie Galvis or maybe a Jonathan VR type of player? Um, and then you wonder, who's going to play third base? Did Kelvin Gutierrez do enough? Th- that final 31 games last year, he slashed 293-47-419. Look, the OPS and the slugging percentage are low. But the batting average is high. And the on-base percentage is serviceable at three at three forty-seven, and then he had a he had a. Uh he, sl- he hit 417 in the, in the Dominican Winter League. Not the same competition as the major leagues, but does Kelvin Gutierrez have the inside track to
1: uh, the Orioles opening day third baseman this year? Imagine how much better he'd be if he swung at fastballs right down the middle. <laughs> he, he let a few of those go last year, it, like with runners in scoring position late in the game that, mm-hmm. that kind of got under my skin. But yeah, I mean, he's he's shown a little bit of what he can do. But I will say, I forgot that uh, according to most Orioles fans, Jamai Jones is supposed to be our everyday superstar second baseman. So we might have to Move Ramon Arias over to the left side of the infield. Oh man,
0: I, I I'm I'm not all in on Jamai Jones. Neither I, am I. I, saw I a like guy him.
1: I'd like I'd like to see him get a, a legitimate shot. But yeah, Arias should be the guy to start the year. I saw a
0: guy in Jemai Jones last year who went to AAA and hit 237. If you if you're if you're hitting 237 at AAA, why do I think you're going to be helpful at the big league level? And then he got called up. Almost like it was almost as if. Michael Elias was listening to the, to the ire of the fans yeah. because
1: he had done nothing to deserve that call up. He was hot for about two weeks and then struggled it, for a month mm-hmm. and then got called up. I didn't understand. I, it had to have been because of the fans clamoring for him, right? Or maybe it was just because Pavleka was playing so poorly. But which which kind of
0: like uh, Pavaleka played so well in twenty twenty. I mean, two seventy eight, eight homers. He played in fifty four games, and then he comes out and does and, and just craps the bed. Yeah. Last year, Look I, I didn't think he was a difference maker on a 110 loss team. I didn't think he would be, but I expect
1: better out of him. And then you expect he, maybe a Ryan Flaherty type production from him. But uh, we, I expect better than that. Ryan Flaherty's production. is... You weren't a Flaherty guy. No, neither I, was I. A, a guy like
0: Ryan Flaherty, there's like a cult love for that guy. Yeah. A guy like Ryan Flaherty, he has a role in the big leagues. He's a utility guy. Um, he's a Jeff Rebele. right? We yeah. talked about Rebele. He's Jeff Rebele. Yeah. Um, he has a role. Pat Veleka. They expected him, because of his versatility, to be able to play a bunch of different positions. They expected him to have maybe not an everyday role, but a three or four games a week kind of role, and he just didn't uh, because he, he he couldn't hit. He couldn't hit last year. Right. So I, I'm very interested to see which direction the Orioles go in with free agency this year. Are they going to – I will scream from a mountaintop how much I want Andrelton Simmons here. I don't care that his bat's not good anymore. I, I, would, I, I don't I care. that. I want that glove – Behind the young pitching staff. Yep. Want that glove in the infield. So uh, if Andrelton Simmons is a guy, I'll be happy as a stopgap till Henderson or Westberg or maybe they take Brooks Lee first overall this year and he's a guy who ends up here. He it, he is named after Brooks Robinson. We had him on Glenn Clark Radio and his dad did name him after Brooks Robinson. There you go. Um, so that would be a perfect fit here in Baltimore. Either way, very excited and interested to see what the Orioles are going to do in free agency with the rotation and with the infield because the outfield, catcher, first base. They're pretty set, as we always say on the show, remains to be seen. I want to thank Stan the Fan, Charles, for uh, joining us for his weekly segment. Great content, as always. Rich DuBraw for making my job easy. Thanks for coming on the show today. Special thank you to you, Ryan Blake, for sitting in for Zach Gubin. He did a hell of a job today. We did not skip a beat here on the bat around. Thanks to all our listeners uh, for tuning in every week, especially when we don't have anything going on in the world of baseball. Real quick, Super Bowl, who you got? Rams by six. Rams by six. I'm going to take the Bengals by three because I think they're playing with house money and I think they really believe that they're the best team of football right now. So I'm I'm taking the Bengals by 3 on Super Bowl Sunday.
1: I just want to say I'm very happy that Browns fans are either going to have to watch the Bengals win the Super Bowl or Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, either
0: way, uh, just just, just lose uh, lose for them. Cry cry into your pillows, guys. Guys, thanks for tuning into the Battle Round. We'll be back with another great show next week. Until then, as always, see ya.